0: And welcome to El Fumar Takes. This is our 226th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Perry DuPlessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. We're going to dip a toe into the fountain of youth, so to speak, tonight. But we're also going to be doing a lot of traveling tonight. We're going to talk about some travels. We're going to talk about some fun. And we're going to talk about new blood. Yes, both literally and figuratively right here on tonight's show. It's going to be a fantastic show. Something I've been looking to for to a while. I've been looking forward to the cigar we're going to be smoking. I've been looking forward to talking to this gentleman, uh, Solo. He's been on the show before, but we're welcoming him back uh all by his lonesome tonight. I'm so I'm so excited for this. Uh but before we get to formal introductions, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. That of course is uh tonight's sponsors. So tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Yes, recently in the latest Freestyle Live Special Edition broadcast, Drew Estate, joined by James Hetfield of Metallica and Rob Dietrich of Blackened American Whiskey, revealed the mystery cigar contained within the company's latest Freestyle Live event pack is the all-new Blackened Cigar M81 by Drew Estate, an exploration into the deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of the mysterical Maduro Leaf. Yes, all aspects of the... M 81 R Maduro. Yes, the it starts with the wrapper, a beautiful Mexican San Andreas wrapper, Connecticut Broadleaf Maduro or excuse me, binder and filler Maduro tobacco as well uh, from Nicaragua, Pennsylvania and more. What a blend to find out. Blackened is the name of the cigar. M81 by Drew Estate presents a journey throughout different Maduro leaves, starting with the the thick and oily Maduro wrapper that I mentioned from Mexico and ending with rich Maduro tobaccos from Nicaragua and Pennsylvania. You don't want to miss this. Check it out at your Drew Diplomat retailer and smoke the next M81, M81 today and enjoy the journey. Into Maduro, and welcome everybody. This is our 226 take, as I mentioned. So, without further ado, it's my pleasure, my privilege to welcome tonight's guest, sponsored by United Cigar. Smoke one today, start living united. Yes, it's Mr. Alec Cuevas of Casa Cuevas Cigars. Alec, sir, welcome back. How are you doing tonight,
1: brother? I'm doing amazing. If I was any better, I'd be you. Truth be told, <laughs> how are you doing, my friend?
0: I'm doing absolutely uh, fantastic. I told I told you, man. It's been a day. Um, it's been a day, but it's gonna. It's you know. It's one of those things where, you know, you're you're blessed to have first world problems, man. You just you 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 roll with it. You roll with it. So, um, the the good news is it's gonna it's gonna end on a high note. I get to uh, smoke a cigar I've been looking forward to for a while, and and I get to smoke it with uh, uh one of uh I mean. There were, I know you had a great team behind you, including some great family as well, but uh, this this is your baby we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes, so uh, and uh, so I'm excited to, to have this, this experience uh, with you in particular sitting across from me,
1: so that's going to be fun. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: So, I was, I was actually thinking about this, we, you know, we were talking a little bit, uh, you know, we, we always, I mean, it's it's impossible to talk about the classic story without talking about family, right, we're talking about five generations deep. And um, I was thinking about this. I was looking, um, you know, I was putting together the ad for the show, and and so I was looking at pictures, of course, of your of yourself and everything. And um, I, I'm I'm sure she's gotten this all the time. I don't mean to embarrass your sister, but she's a dead ringer for your mom. I mean, they look like twins. <laughs> um, and then I was like, okay. And then I, it just naturally got me thinking of like, well, who do you look more like? And I think you're I think you're you're there's this this delightful combination of you and your you and your you, your mother and your father in you but what what did you get growing up because that that's always the thing like i was like everyone was like oh you're definitely your father's son i'm like thanks like what what did you get growing up
1: all right so when i was younger uh a lot of that was essentially my mom i i com- looked completely different truth be told um obviously growth spurts and things like that happened but when i was really really young i took after my mom a hefty amount um and i forget what it was in in particular, whether it was the eyebrows or the nose or something, but at any family reunion, I was the spitting image of my mother Um, (laughs) face-wise. Yeah, it was just one of those things. And now at the age that I'm at, um, I I sound a hell of a lot like my father over the phone. This happens 24 seven. Somebody believes they're speaking with him. They're in fact speaking with me. (laughs) So it's like a chip off the old block. And I'd say now a lot of people associate me with my father. The only difference is having some sort of hair. (laughs) So (laughs) that truth be told, it's a little bit of both. You're right. That's true.
0: No, I, I was just thinking about it because I was, uh, you know, my, uh, my kids get it all the time. Like, you know, as well, they're like, Oh, they look exactly like you. And, and like my wife and I look at them and, and there's, there's, we can, I mean, we certainly see parts of parts of ourselves in our kids and stuff, but, um, it, usually usually we don't agree with the people that are saying it they're like oh you look so much like your mother and we're like no he looked, right. <laughs> that one looks like me but okay that's cool whatever um you know so it's 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 just kind of it's just kind of funny i just was uh because i was thinking about that um you know the last couple of days because i was looking at some of your photos I'm not stalking you problems. So i was just putting together the ad for tonight's show but uh but that uh we are going to be talking about this lady that did give me uh thinking about one of kind of our secondary topics in your, your, um, I, you know, I, I would, I would call it, I would call it a love of travel. Um, yes. it's, um, you, you certainly seem to have, uh, gone a lot of different places and stuff, a lot pre COVID, but even since then you've, you know, you've yeah. definitely bounced around and everything. Of course you have a lot more on your plate these days. Uh, we'll get into the travel bit here in just a second, but, um, but uh, I, I believe the last, I believe since the last time I had you on the show, you've gone through a couple of promotions. Oh yeah, here with the company. So is it is it is it now director of operations or what's 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 the what's the latest promotion here? This is
1: because this is exciting stuff. So during the events of COVID, actually I'd say about a year before 2019 is when the director of operations became the title for me. Um, to which I then was essentially in charge of all the. I guess, accounting aspect of things, looking at the numbers, looking through reports, uh, writing up the commissions and making sure that more than often not the shops carry what they have. And if they need any information from us that it's easily sent over. I was dealing a lot with that. Um, For those of you that don't know, my father and I are the only individuals at the office at any point in time, unless we have a client stopping by. So that being said, we are doing essentially everything um, from sales to the janitorial staff to packing. I mean, it's a two man show. Um, As of now, I recently have been promoted uh, with the launch of Sangre Nueva as the Director of Brand Development, which um, was an an amazing title to behold. My grandfather was the one that really wanted to incite that going forward, Uh, because for the future projects coming up, I'm going to be a hell of a lot more hands-on with our cigars, particularly with the blend process. Um, And that's something that it's a privilege to say at this very moment, and it's something that I, I couldn't... Be prouder of in relation towards the trust that my grandfather and father have put upon me. So as of right now, I'm director of brand development.
0: That's all. Aw- I mean, that's awesome. I mean, and, and we're we're gonna talk about a little bit this tonight. Uh, you know, I put it in my my introduction for the show. I was talking about like when we when you talk about age, sometimes it's inappropriate, right? And that that was kind of in my bit in, into the. Uh, if you look at the description of the show, it's I it was like sometimes people confuse they compute they confuse old age with. You know over the hill and just yeah. you know not caring anymore uh that sometimes people confuse youth with yeah i mean yes there's an experience but at the same time they also think it's you know it's lackluster and there's 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 nothing there right you know in, and and i think those are fool's errands on both sides you know again it depends on the in the tent depends on the individual that we're talking about of course i mean there are plenty of stupid people that are old and young <laughs> but um but I mean, I think that's a fool's errand when you when you when you kind of pigeonhole the fact that yes, this is a very tradition forward industry, and there are decades and centuries of of knowledge and tradition and legacy to that have been passed down, fifth generation that I'm talking to here. Yes, but that doesn't mean you have to be 40 by the time you 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 know things or can do things, right? So I mean that was one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, right off the bat um, before and before we kind of get start smoking. Well, I know you're already smoking, but before I start smoking was um, I mean, what what was it like kind of when you were kind of wanting to introduce yourself into this this industry full hand? I know it's always been there. But I know you work the retail side and we we've talked about that i'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more and everything but like when you're like yeah i, w- I want to give this a go like was it intimidating all or was it or was it more
1: familial it was very intimidating um even to this very day it's still something that for me is nerve-wracking um it's it's one of those it, it, think of it uh similar to this in a sense where you'll see my father and myself working at events And I won't get that credibility up until I explain a little bit more about the blends on the table. Um, Otherwise, I simply look like Luis Cuevas' son. And that's something that I've been dealing with ever since the launch of the company. Um, I'm much more hands-on now due to the fact that this is my gap year when it comes to school and everything else. So much more on the forefront, obviously, especially with the launch of Sangre Nueva. But uh, I'll tell you truthfully, it's something that even to this very day, it's still somewhat of a struggle. Uh, It's not necessarily the credibility aspect of things, it's more so there is going to be a future generation of cigar smokers that are coming into the fray of things. A lot of the individuals such as myself or on my age are intimidated walking into a humidor for the first time and not knowing what to choose in relation to cigars. Um, In my case, it was something similar, but the reason that I'm so gung-ho about this industry beyond just the family lineage and the pride that I carry for our cigars is mostly due to the fact that at one point in time, I was also that naive young man walking into an enormous humidor with a plethora of cigars, not knowing what to choose. And instead of being scoffed at, I was welcomed and I was helped. And now I have a much more experienced palate, but that wouldn't be possible without the help of these other individuals that gone out of their way truth be told to give me that information in relation to how to light the cigar what you're looking for what you're tasting maybe this is too strong for you and so forth the intimidation factor i believe is something that will always be there um and rightfully so i am all of 24 years old i'm one of the considerably uh, one of the youngest found within this industry but beyond the knowledge that i do carry it's more so the passion for me that i want individuals to genuinely see um, you will, or from what I've heard anyway, you'll see it when I'm talking about cigars as a whole, um, and it could be any blend and very unbiased yeah. as you know, but that's, uh, that's the big stepping uh, point for me is getting to the point where I'm no longer viewed as Louis Cuevas' son, more so this is Alec Cuevas with Casa Cuevas cigars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a slow progress marathon, not a sprint, but I've seen more and more into it now that individuals are recognizing me as also a part of this company as that partnership to be had with my father and my grandfather. And that doesn't go unnoticed in my eyes.
0: Well, and and, and I I completely with you on that. And I'm in, in a lot of aspects, I think it's, I think it's fantastic that you had that, that, that experience early on. Not just, I mean, I think you've, we, we could have probably gotten here. It's not like one of those things like, man, if you had been, if they were a bunch of dicks, to you like well, this would have never happened like i don't think it was that that much of a, a stone you know that much of a boulder in the river of life kind of thing but like we probably would have gotten to this point but i think your perspective would have been a lot different and i think you're um the way cavalier is the wrong word but the way the way you're you accepting of like hey this is this is the challenge but it's not really much of a challenge and this is the way it is kind of thing you're relaxed uh Willingness for it is, is 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 probably because of because of that early on experience and to and that's the whole that was the whole point of having inviting you on the show tonight like I've had the opportunity to interview you before I've interviewed your father before, sure. um, hoping one day to interview your grandfather, um, but I really really enjoy i've really enjoyed our our conversations uh both privately and then the one that we had at this year's last year's trade show and everything and i was like i really want to just have the conversation with you it is your project and um and you are going to be taking this 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 company into the to the next uh the next era and this i thought this would be a really exciting opportunity to to get your thoughts on it and uh and just speak to you about it. so i'm excited you're you're here and everything so without um that in mind um why don't we, uh, why don't we light up the cigar that, uh, like I said, you're already smoking. But why don't I light up the cigar we're going to be talking about here? <laughs> um, so um, normally, uh, tradition on this sh- show is I, uh, I give my uh, my guests three of their uh, three cigars to pick from. I am going to give you three cigars, but they're not they're the same blend, just three different vitolas. Um, so I do have the Sangre Nueva here. I do have it in the Toro size, uh, six by fifty. Uh, I do have it in the robusto size, uh, four and three quarters by fifty-four, and I do have it in the perfecto size, which is a six by fifty-eight, but uh, double perfecto, so you got tapered ends. So, as we always say, it's it doesn't look like it doesn't look like doesn't feel like a sixty. So, what am I uh, what am I
1: going to be smoking tonight, Alec? My personal favorite, uh, and I've mentioned this uh, on many occasions, is that double perfecto. Um, I personally believe. Uh, well, my story behind it is, is genuinely something that I consider to a degree somewhat biased only because when that Vitola came in and I finally had the opportunity to smoke it, I got up from that table that we were at. It was my father. It was essentially all of the family early morning. And with that Vitola, I kid you not, five to ten minutes in, I was giddy as hell running around the table. There's a video of it, too. I'm sure my parents have it. <laughs> we could send it to you after the fact. <laughs> um, but... I I genuinely do love that double perfecto. I think it brings something genuinely new to the table. I'd say the second one would be that Robusto. So uh, truth be told, I would just start off with that double perfecto and and see how you feel about it.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I know we're going to get, we're going to dive we're going to dive into all aspects of this uh, just because I'm, I'm so excited for this project in general. Yes, it's yours, uh, which is the initial reason why I'm really excited about it. But There's just a lot to, there's a lot to appreciate about this. Uh, I mean, let's go ahead and start off with the way it looks. Um, I mean, we'll get into the nuts and uh, bolts of the blend, but that is an Ecuadorian Cameroon wrapper that we're looking at. Uh, But I, I called it this is before the show started. I called it a bronze or a spun copper um, coloration to it, um, which I think really complements that Ecuadorian Cameroon wrapper really good. Um, But uh, what, what, Talk, talk to us a little bit about this packaging because I know you had, you know, you had your hands on like everything. So what. Oh, yeah. uh...
1: <laughs> in relation towards the coloration, uh, and we spoke about this previously, I agree with you in a sense where I believe it to be bronze. Um, it, it could double also as copper. How this came about was during the initial conversation of this blend as a whole. And at this point, nothing was really formulated. Earlier that morning, I was smoking a Coraline Habano that was sitting on our front porch. Um, I left it there to be had, and there was a lot of stuff to do at the office that day. So we ended up being shut inside, mostly due to work, but also because there was a storm. and It was raining sideways. Um, Ended up getting back home more or less at 6.30. So we left for the office at 9, got there 9.20. So we were there for quite a bit of time. And the cigar was nowhere to be found. Um, And after some looking, I found it essentially right next to our parking lot on grass and the coloration, the elements all got to this band that was initially red and changed it to this bronze slash copper coloration. Um, Like I said, nothing was set in stone at this very moment. But I genuinely loved the color Uh, so much. So I took a photo of it. I still have the photo. And this was in the back of my mind up until about five months into the actual project itself where it came time to give the actual bandits coloration. We thought of toying around with a bunch of other colors so as green we want to bring into the line at some point uh, as you guys know we do have blue, we have red and green, white, I mean um black and white, but I believe that this coloration is something that's distinct um and it gives this rustic appeal because mm-hmm. though it is my personal blend I'm a very very firm believer in old tradition. Um, Cigars as a whole, you can give all the equipment necessary to roll a proper cigar further down the line, let's say a century from now, and it'll still be done how it was a century before. Um, It's something that has never changed the process, if anything else is as natural as it comes, it really does go through a hefty amount of hands before reaching any sort of shelf. Um, So I felt as if the coloration of that rustic that bronze really fit the bill for this project.
0: I mean it's it yeah, I really I mean I do I do like how it it I'm I'm at a loss for words here because it, it really is the this blend of two worlds, right? And in, in terms of like it is it it's it could very well fit in a rustic setting, but yes. it has like it has also old world uh Regalness to it this could be you know you could see this on a on a you know a family crest you know in, in 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 you know renaissance europe or something it's that kind of coloration it's that kind of and even the font too you know i mean, I mean obviously it's very it's very you know it's the same casa cuevas that we find on you know every other cigar um but the the, the bronze makes it look different <laughs> and it's funny it just it you know it's one of those things you know it just happened one day mother nature you know, it's played on, okay. played on, you said it was the Habano. So the red, they turned into the, wow. That's interesting.
1: The elements, the humidity, everything got to it. Obviously the cigar got darker as well. Um, it was unsmokable. I wasn't about to start crying. <laughs> so, uh, that's for sure. But yeah, the coloration just really stood out to me. Um, and like I said, at this very moment, even the name was being toyed with. So um, to jump a little bit into the name Sangre Nueva stands for new blood. The initial name was going to be Sangre Hoven. Um, In relation towards that translation, which also means young blood, Sangre joven. In this industry, as young as I am, everybody from cigar influencers to individuals such as yourself, to other brand owners, manufacturers, and shop owners alike, even some patrons, I would walk in and I would always be the young buck or the young blood or anything else in relation to something young uh, that involves blood in a way. So I wanted the cigar to kind of carry that. This, this blend to me is an accumulation of all the love that I have received in this industry. And it's an enormous tribute to my family. Um, that is the utmost honesty. But all of it encompasses my experiences throughout this industry thus far. And I, I really, really wanted that to shine in relation to the packaging.
0: I'm sorry. I, it, uh, I should have explained this to our audience before. So if I'm a little bit quieter tonight, as I'm, ex- you know, enjoying the cigars, it's because this is the first time I've actually had this blend. So I'm actually trying to have a conversation with Alec and actually explore the cigar at the same time. So um, I, I, I tell you, I tell you what, man, you, you set me up perfectly for this because I was, I, you know, we talked about, you know, with all double perfectos or any cigars with tapered ends or torpedoes and stuff like that, you, you know, the, the draw sometimes isn't, uh, it's just naturally, obviously not as open as traditional cigars. And sometimes you just have to wait for that, that, that cigar to naturally burn to the shoulder where it opens up a little bit, which mine hasn't yet, but I I was fully prepared. I was like, I was like, okay, I'm gearing up for like, okay, I'm going to work this for a little bit. And it's a man that, that, that fire really took to it. And I mean, I had a, I've had a very enjoyable draw so far on this. I mean, it's it is a little firm, yeah, but nothing like uh, I guess I was gearing myself up for. Uh, and the flavor is just kind of really, already kind of hitting the palate and really, uh, really a different way. The we're gonna get into the blend here in a second. I don't want to I don't want to give my assessment of the of the pre light aroma because that's gonna be a dead giveaway to what we're talking about. But um, you mentioned this vitola. This was something you were excited about. What what about the double perfecto was something that was a was it. Was it alluring to you in this particular blend or it's something that you like gained um, from another experience?
1: So uh, the initial concept um, and the utmost respect to these individuals, the one of the very first cigars that I had the opportunity of smoking when I began smoking was the Rocky Patel 55 that did come in that double perfecto vitola. Um, Similar to what you're saying at that initial first draw, I felt to be extremely firm And It was my first time ever really smoking that Double Perfecto, but once it reached that shoulder and it opened up, um, I like to use the term, it blossoms on you and then the flavors really come through. Something interesting, uh, one of my favorite Vitolas is the Lancero and it's mostly just due to the notion that each transition is sharp, mostly because you're smoking a good hefty amount of wrapper. With the Double Perfecto, it gives you the similar nuance but in a bigger gauge, so you're picking up a lot more of the filler and the binder to be had rather than the wrapper. Um, However, with the particular notes that we've added inside the filler on that particular Vitola, once it gets to that shoulder and it opens up, it accentuates the cigar, in my personal opinion, and really brings all the flavors together. Um, I wanted the cigar to be full in flavor rather than full in strength. And don't get me wrong, folks, it is still a medium-bodied cigar. Some would even say medium plus. It's my personal morning smoke now. Um, and my father still sticks with this patrimonio, but this is my morning smoke, and it always isn't double perfecto, a size that I don't get my hands on very often. I'm I'm more of a robusto smoker than anything else, interestingly enough. The size really stood out, and it's because of those crisp, crisp transitions that it gives you as you start smoking more and more of it, and of course, during that last third, the strength is going to pick up just a tad bit, but it won't take away or dip me from the cigar at all, so uh, that's why I'm a huge sucker for this particular Vitola. We've had the molds in the factory, Uh, we just never brought it into the fray of Casa Cuevas before. Um, So when the question came about as to what the Vitolas were going to be, I also wanted to make, for example, that four and three-fourths Robusto. That's a classical, traditionally sized Robusto from back in a day, since before the Cigar boom. And that's an homage to my grandfather, who loves his Robustos. He loves smaller smokes. That's his go-to. And then when it came to this particular size, I wanted to do something different than going ahead and release another six by 60 Gordo. Um, personally, I don't smoke Gordos. It's very difficult for me, not that I haven't, but I don't find myself gravitating towards the bigger gauges. Sure. But with the taper that this gives you on both ends, it doesn't feel like you're smoking an enormous gauge. And it fits well in your mouth, which is a huge thing for me. Um, and that being told, I I just I'm, I'm a sucker for the size. <laughs> I really am. No, I,
0: I I agree. I'm 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 definitely not. We we've we've had longstanding jokes on this show and between me and and Coop. Um, uh, he's a he's definitely a gordo guy. I'm not. Um, but but that's always that's always been my thing. Is if, if, if with with when I do smoke gordos and gordos that I do like, is they, um, one one of two things, um. Either they don't feel like they're a large gauge or uh like or the way that they're blended here carries a lot more flair. Cause that's what I found to be this is an overgeneralization. And I know you make gordos, so you know, I'm not necessarily speaking to any Gordo specifically, but like as a general whole, my it's not the gauge that bothers me. I, I mean I could care less, really. It's the overwhelming overwhelmingly so that the Gordos that I have smoked over the years have just lacked in the flavor um, intensity that I prefer in the smaller blends of that particular blend. And, and, and I, I know that's a very big, broad generalization, but unfortunately, that just happens to be the case in the, a, a lot of the examples that I've smoked. Not so every time, obviously. There are some bigger gauge cigars that I enjoy, um, but that was kind of that was kind of my my beef with it. Um, so overall, like you said, it was actually the size. Like you just didn't you just didn't particularly enjoy having you know the that's that large of a gauge experience.
1: I'm so sorry, brother. My internet just kind of went off and I, I missed a good portion of that. It's okay. I was
0: just, I was rambling for the most part. I was just talking about how I don't like big gauge cigars. It's not that big of a deal. But I was saying how, for me, the the big gauge experience was, is more about the, I, I much prefer the way that the flavors married in a smaller vitola. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the size that really bothered me so much. But from what I understood, it was for you that it's just never been a size you've enjoyed,
1: right? It's just, it's, Right, something brand new to the table, at least in the sense of what I, I normally tend to smoke. Um, and on top of that, it's opened the leeway door for me. Um, as many of you know, if you have heard me speak in relation to this sort of stuff, I'm a very much an unbiased smoker. I like to say I'm a smoker before a brand owner. So I have now find myself looking for new cigars. But that being said, in this particular Vitola, I've, I've fallen in love with it. I'm almost enamored by it in a way. I just hit the shoulder, by the way. And that smoke is just
0: plentiful. Holy crap. Wow. Wow, that just popped. Because I didn't think I mean, I didn't think it was that restrictive in the beginning. I was like, Oh, this is nice. Um, And then I I just hit the shoulder. I just pow, man, you get you get a lot of smoke off that. That's gorgeous. Nice. So, so let's talk about the blend of this. Um, and there's a there's a lot going on in this cigar. We already we've just talked we literally have just talked about the surface, but this is an Ecuadorian Cameroon wrapper. And for those who don't know out there, Cameroon is a for a long time, uh, and and still to for the most part is is a very sought after wrapper. It can be very expensive if you get genuine African Cameroon. Um, and uh, but so it's. Like people are doing with broadleaf these days, growing it in different places and everything. They've grown it in uh, Ecuador, of course, and some other places and everything. But uh, so this is this is Ecuador. This is an Ecuadorian Cameroon varietal. Um, so tell us a little bit. Um, uh, I know I know you have a great affinity for the leaf itself, but talk to talk to us a little bit about uh, the blend components here.
1: All right. So as you just finished stating, it does carry that Ecuadorian Cameroon. For the longest time, I've always wanted to create something with Cameroon, Um, we finally had that opportunity to do so. So hence why the blend has what it has in relation to the binder. As of last year, we brought out the Patrimonio, which is was our first time using a Corojo wrapper from Honduras. We also picked up a couple bales of Corojo binder. So it carries a Corojo binder currently and will going forward. I, I don't know why I said currently, but it does carry that Corojo binder. And in relation to the filler, which I find to be the most integral part of the cigar as a whole. It carries some Pennsylvania broadleaf for a little adage of strength. It carries some Nicaraguan tobacco and some Dominican tobacco as well, but it has something peculiar that we've never really toyed with before other than for other individuals I wanted to manufacture with a specific leaf, which is a tiny sliver of Kentucky fire cured, American curated tobacco. Blending with Kentucky fire cured was a very tedious process. Uh, We went through about 14 different blends before really settling on blend number 10, which is the one you're currently smoking now. But the last four of these blends in particular were the more experimental oriented blends. And that was around the same portion that my grandfather um, told me something very interesting about our lineage in relation towards something my great grandfather had that he thinks I have as well when it comes to my palate. So playing with this, blend number 11 carried an actual percentage worth of Kentucky Fire cured, and I added about only 5% because I know it's a relatively potent type of tobacco that can overwhelm the cigar as a whole. It's also one of those um, things in particular where people love it or or people really don't. There's no real in-between. So that was also a big scare factor. But that being said, for example, my mother in particular loved blend number 11. It really fit her bill, but she's a fan of Kentucky fire Cured. I have never been a big fan of it. Truth be told, I've smoked a good amount of Kentucky fire Cured from Drew Estate in my day. Um, in my day, as if I'm old as hell, but I'm not. But you know <laughs> what I mean, right?
0: You're reta- your retailer old. Hey, listen, yeah. <laughs> a, year,
1: a year in retailers, five years,
0: it's like they're like dog years, man. They're like dog years, <laughs> It's, it it, it's yeah. So you, you survive a year in, in cigar retail. It's like, while it's a lot of fun, I'm not knocking it at all, but it definitely, you definitely feel like you've been doing it for a really long time.
2: Oh, yes. So.
1: And um, so ever since then, um, quite literally, I, the last time I was, or better said, the last time I smoked a Kentucky Fire Cured was at that retail location at Neptune Cigar down here in Miami. So blend number 10 didn't have a particular percentage. And it's so tedious to work with. This this took a very long time to create. It was about an eight-month process. But the reason it took so long was because we also had to essentially segue individuals that were rolling our cigars into making sure that they were only taking apart this tiny sliver of this Kentucky fire cured, adding too much or too little completely. And I mean this sincerely, folks. It completely changes the blend as a whole. Um, that's why I personally do also enjoy starting off with that double perfecto, because I feel as if the balance it provides in relation towards such a potent tobacco is exceptional. I mean, it's tremendous. It's very well balanced, but it's still full in flavor. And like I said, I mean, you'll get to the point where you get to the shoulder and it mixes in with the cigar. You're no longer just tasting this roasted almond sensation in terms of nuance. You're tasting everything across the gamut that the cigar has to offer. Um, that's what I was really shooting for in a way was to find that middle grounds of individuals that don't like it, like myself and those that really do enjoy it because mm-hmm. then your first five to 10 minute smoke, you're in heaven. If you do love Kentucky fire cured and then it meshes well with the scar enough towards the point where you genuinely enjoy the smoke in total. Whereas if you're not the biggest fan, you might taste the initial notions of it because the notes are there. They're very prominent. However, considering that they dissipate into the cigar and add more of an oomph in relation to that flavor, um, meshes very well also. And I, I believe it satisfies both parties. And that's also what I was shooting for and why this took as long as it did really to come out with.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to slow it down because I'm, I'm smoking the fuck out of this thing. Um, so I'm <laughs> trying to, just trying to. Just try to like let it sit here for a second. Uh, I, I didn't want to give this up. But first of all, because like when you when you pick the size, I, I pulled it out of the cello and I, I took in the aroma of the wrapper. Cut it, dry drew. Didn't really get. I got a little bit of that, like you said. Very, it was very faint because I knew what I was looking for. But if exactly. you smell the foot, it's there. And th- 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 when we're talking about sliver, folks, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the blender. You, you, I'll leave that to you guys. But like I'm 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 sure you're very literal here because it's very, very overpowering, like you said, and it's it, it, you have to be very careful with it. Because um, even Kentucky Fire cured, uh, KFCs from Drew State, you you wouldn't believe this to know it, but they don't use a lot of it in the blend. But it's yeah. still that. I mean, it's it it's unmistakable. It's pop in your face, um, and but you can smell it right on the foot. You can smell mm-hmm. right on the foot even with that that smaller foot because of the double perfecto I imagine when I smoked the toro the Robusta, you could probably get more of it yes but here's I'm sure you've done this this is something that's really cool and for the for our podcast audience later that's just listening and people on Facebook are getting the benefit of this if you smell the foot while the cigar is lit if you smell the foot Well, um, um not the foot excuse me that the head where you're where you're taking a your draws out of you can actually you you can still smell it you can still it's smell like yeah, the the notes of the Kentucky fire here. It's that it's that powerful of an aroma and everything. But to the smoking experience, it's there. Again, I know what I'm looking for. Um, but it's not overpowering to the blend. There's just so much going on here with with all this other t- tobacco here. Now you mentioned the Corojo binder, Nicaraguan or Dominican, or what, what varietal Corojo are we talking about here? Honduran. Honduran. Okay, wow. Okay. Honduran. So we're well, that's right. We're all over the place. And this is. So that's okay. So we've got okay. So we got American tobacco. Yeah. Well American times two, because we've got we've got American fire cured, we've got American Pennsylvania, we've got Honduran, we've got Dominican, (laughs) Ecuadorian, and Nicaraguan. That's six different tobaccos.
1: Yes, sir. In total.
0: Six different tobaccos, five different countries.
1: Wow. We, we always do like saying that uh, it's, it's if we had our factory in Ecuador or we had it in Nicaragua, let's say the, the production process as to what we put out on the market is still very much a blended scotch rather than a single malt. And that's not taking away from those individuals that smoke a uh, purely Dominican or purely Nicaraguan in the slightest. I, I do enjoy a good pure Nicaraguan cigar from time to time, but I find it very interesting how tobaccos from different regions especially considering, for example, like uh, as you were mentioning before, Ecuadorian Cameroon. I find Ecuador to be a chameleon of sorts because the soil is so rich to the point where you can grow a variety of seeds over there. And although it will divvy in relation to the taste, it's still somewhat comparable and similar in that regard. Mm -hmm. So Ecuadorian Cameroon doesn't carry, for example, as much bitterness as an African Cameroon would. And I like to use the distinction of, let's say, African Cameroon would be subject to tasting a little bit like cacao, the initial origination of chocolate, where it's a little bit lingering in your palate, um, but it's still somewhat enjoyable, whereas Ecuadorian Cameroon, in my personal opinion, gives me a dark chocolate sensation. Um, There's a tad bit of sweetness to it, not a lot. In fact, it's so minute that more often than not, you're not even gonna really be tasting it in that cigar as a whole. Um, The sweet aromas and things that you'll be picking up is coming from that Kentucky fire period and a little bit of that mix from that Ecuadorian Cameroon. But that's also a very potent leaf. Um, during During the initial blending process, as I said, I always wanted Cameroon. I remember three of the four were viably bitter but like extremely bitter and it wasn't to say that they weren't enjoyable it's just that it, at that point it felt as if it didn't matter what you included within the filler or the binder all you can taste were the darker notes of that cigar as a whole whereas blend number three because of that Corojo binder in particular from Honduras, it brought this extra oomph of aroma that I really gravitated towards um, so blend number three became the basis and that ended up moving further down the line to blend number 10, where we did add some of that Kentucky Fire Cured. We also tweaked some of the percentages a little bit, um, or better said, I did. And sure enough, we ended up coming out with Sangre Nueva. The the nuances make all the difference in the world, but going back to it, we really do like saying we're a blended scotch rather than a single malt. I mean, it's it's plain as day. Now,
0: I've, I've that's something I've always appreciated about the Costa Cueva cigars as a whole is that, like, you, you, you yes you, they're they're manufactured in the dominican republic but there's just so many different tobaccos that uh, you your father and grandfather have worked with that and and find a really good a really good blend and symphony of, of flavor with it which is is it, it really they really speak to my palate and um, I mean throughout your portfolio, I've I've just I've just enjoyed the cigars immensely. The uh but the reason I was noting the amount of tobacco in here is this and I'm and I was picking up the Robusto. I I suppose the Robusto feels heavy for a Robusto. This didn't feel that heavy though. This is the bigger of the cigars, and it just it didn't feel I've I I so point of reference. I smoked last week for a round table, we smoked the the fine and rare, which had 10 tobaccos. Now 10 is a lot more than six. I'm I can do math, but (laughs) <laughs> that was a, that. was that. That was a much denser of a cigar, um, most notably so. And uh, so I'm I'm using this kind of for reference point. I have like the uh, the Flaco Maduro here, um, which almost kind of almost feels heavier, which is interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 just kind of in, I'm enjoying all these these uh, these discussion points that we're kind of tackling here
1: tonight. It's, this is uh, this is really fascinating. It's also interesting to note. Um, just on a quick little side note that Ecuadorian Cameroon is an extremely, uh, at least from my grandfather's standpoint, a, a man that really did, and was a cultivator back in his time. Um, he said it was a very little type of leaf. One of which that I remember he was reluctant to bring in and to use, even though we can viably get a consistent amount of it, um, to which it worked at the end of the day, but it's a much lighter leaf than most people would beg to say. It's interesting to note. uh, mm-hmm. similar reason towards why it's, at least for us, anyway, it's very difficult to create a proper, well-balanced flaco in with uh, with Connecticut, for example. That's another leaf that we consider relatively brittle, and thus we haven't released a Connecticut flaco, though uh, we would love to. However, to catch that balance is extremely difficult without essentially exploding the cigar or tearing the leaf.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can definitely tell that there is a there is a much more, uh, you know, it's the the leaf isn't as as thick as like say like the Maduro that you guys use for the Casa Cuevas Maduro or even the Habano for that matter. Yeah. Um it has a little bit more a little bit more brittle texture to it. Um, but it's still very hardy um in a lot of ways. The uh you know, there's there's a lot of there's oil like the Casa Cuevas Maduro, for example, is 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 noticeably like oily. It doesn't have that, it doesn't have like a it has a shine to it, but it's not like the shiniest of maduros which i'm, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of yeah. um but there there is a nice oiliness to this particular wrap I, i've been kind of rubbing my my hands on it a little bit um which is really really interesting uh and i i, I suppose that's where a lot of the the interesting flavor comes from because i've I, I i'm a fan of cameroon as well and uh, and so i think this might be the largest gauged the largest gauge cameroon that i've smoked Maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm trying to think. I'm like, I'm just, I'm running my head through it. Um, but it's, it's, it's holding, it's holding, it's holding really well. Um, and I think, I mean, maybe the perfecto kind of lends to that. But uh, the construction's impeccable. The draw is fantastic. Uh, the flavor is just really, really interesting. Uh, and I know people use that word to describe something they don't like. I'm not that guy. Like it's like, oh, it's interesting, meaning they don't like it. No, I'm, I'm enjoying this uh, very much so um, I'm just kind of, like I said, I'm kind of lost in a little bit, which is, which is cool. Uh really great experience that we're having here tonight. So, um, the, um, the, let's go back to the fire cure thing as well. I, I know this is something you want, you, you, you obviously, like you said, you were playing with and everything. I, I kind of want to give credit where credit's due on this. And well, you know, we, we, we talked about pre-show and, and last week for people who tuned in, I had Michael Cappellini of Toscano Cigars and guy has been using fire cured tobacco for 200 years but <clears throat> in the new world uh, cigars which is very much what we're talking about tonight um, fire cured tobacco was something that really you know hadn't gotten used terribly too much and, and certainly was more of a recent phenomenon we mentioned Drew estate KFC but um, I mean it was all about the same time I don't know who was necessarily first to plant the flag but the Las loss factory was, certainly right there with the uh the lycia black uh, with uh using fire cured tobacco and everything and i always said and again i'm not just saying this because you're here i always said that the 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 three main ones that kind of came out around the same time there was the kfc from Drew estate there was the Lacia black from you all manufactured by you all for sam and then there was the american puro that george rico did for gran habano and i always said if you wanted to if you really wanted to smell what if you really wanted to smell the aroma of what fire cure tobacco was, you would pick up an American Puro. If you really wanted to taste it, you would get a KFC. Yeah. But if you really wanted to appreciate how it could complement a blend, you would pick up a Galicia black. And I still stand by that. Um, and I think, I think what your, what your grandfather did and, and Sam together is they found the perfect marriage of everything, aroma and blend and flavor all in one. And it's really cool that you're kind of bringing that back, so to speak, um, even though it wasn't too terribly long ago, but you're bringing that back in a, in a very real way with this particular blend. It's very, it's very, very, really
1: well executed, I'll say. This is enjoyable. Thank you. Um, uh, you were right on the money in relation to the San La Cia Blacks. Um, I, I, my father can tell the story much better than I can in relation to how the concept came about. But uh, for those of you that, that don't know, Sam Lucia does carry Italian descent, and there was a portion of the time in which we went to purveyors of tobacco and it begged the question, do we have anything Italian here by any chance? To which that individual that was helping out, my father, grandfather, and Sam at the time, um, said, yeah, we do. We actually have this right here, and turns out it was Kentucky Fire Cured. Um, he, Sam loved it. And it was at the time, I remember it was being used, if I'm not mistaken, it still is to a degree uh, as pipe tobacco, Mm -hmm. but it was being essentially sent over to Italy. Hence why that person believed it was Italian tobacco, but it's American curated all the way through. And um, the inspiration really behind Sangrenueva or better said, the slogan of old tradition, new generation is the fact that few and far between there are some damn good cigars out there that do carry a little bit of that Kentucky fire cured. Some of them carry much more than others, but at the end of the day, finding that balance similar to the blacks is something I really wanted to hit Maristad, put, put the nail and the in the coffin. Just to get that very well. I remember smoking that for the first time. And um, I mean, truth be told, it blew my socks off because it was, as you said, interesting. I, one of the very first instances at all I've ever had of tasting Kentucky fire cured. And I was left in awe. Um, it, it was one of those things where by default, I would compare it with the Kentucky Barrier from Drew estate and so forth. I'd find myself going and starting to smoke those. And that's when I jumped into the retail aspect of things. And I was able to get my hands on a good amount of it. I would take it home and I'd smoke it. And I would just really think to myself at that moment, the craftsmanship in relation towards having such a potent potent type of tobacco and having it work well with a particular blend. Um, mm-hmm. So, the utmost props to Sam Lucia in relation towards that blend, because all we did was manufacture, we had no say in relation towards what should go where, Um, which it's funny, I I find that a lot of people don't see that aspect of things. So, because we manufacture cigars for other individuals, we don't get a say into the blend. Um, We simply get the sheet, and we're told what the blend should be, and then we produce and we send out. That's how it works in relation towards the manufacturing aspect of things. Uh, Sangre Nueva, with that old tradition, new generation, gets back towards a bit of that old tradition of the creation for San Lucia Blacks. Um, it also sticks with the old tradition as towards tribute with my family members, my father and my grandfather and the people before them. But in relation to that new generation, it wasn't in reference to myself. It was in reference towards a new age of this industry, similar towards craft beer where you get a lot more younger folks walking into a humidor and they're not just looking for what's new, but they want something that they've genuinely never tried before. Uh, mm-hmm. Look at the Laranja, for example, where if I recall, it was one of the, the few and only cigars I've ever picked up such a strong citrusy note from mm-hmm. uh, and the initial blend back in the time. And that intrigued the hell out of me. I've always been big on trying new things, but at the end of the day, tobacco does not come from the moon. And it's a matter of reinventing the wheel to see what really works based off percentages um, and what matches correctly and what doesn't. This just happened to be a byproduct of that mentality of mine, hence new generation.
0: Yeah. I remember the, the first time we met uh, um, when you were still working retail and we were talking about different cigars and you had a bunch of cigars with you. I was at the trade show. So we were, and you were pulling out each cigar. We were talking about the blend and we were just kind of nerding out together. It was really nice uh to i i love having those conversations and 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 normally this and and i know we're diving into the blend quite a bit tonight but because i think it is so much very much a part of the story um obviously uh i normally don't do that on this show simply because it's just not what i go for on the show but again it's it it's part of the story so um it's so very much part of the story which is why i wanted to do it particularly with you tonight alec and this being your first project i think I think there's a lot. I, I think there's a lot that you can say. I know, and I know you're immensely proud of it, as you should be. Um, I know. You, I know your father's very proud of it, as he should be, and, and your grandfather as well, and the entire family. And and um, I, I think it's a. I think it's a. I think it's a brilliant launching point, because while you know you might the next cigars that you might blend may not nearly be as nuanced and complex, and in, in terms of just so much story behind it. But I really like that, or maybe they will be. I don't know. I mean, I mean, time will tell. But I really like that this is this is the launching pad that you're choosing, and that you took so much and were able to put it in one project. And it wasn't the sake of just hey, I want to do all this shit just to just to do all this shit. Like it was there. It, it's a very cohesive story, a very cohesive blend that's incredibly well balanced, nuanced. I'm I'm like halfway through at this point. I'm really enjoying this. Um, And it just works. And I think that's, that's, that's incredible because like, I'm sure, I'm sure your grandfather will tell you this and I'm sure you tried, like you said, you took you to 10 blends to get here that this, this wasn't easy. And you had a vision initially that I'm sure changed 10 times before we ended up here. So um, I think it's, I think it's an incredible part of the story,
1: which is very interesting to me. Thank you. I, we, we very much abide by truth. Um, with the cigar, I I like, and I get this from my father, hence why he's an enormous mentor when it comes to my mindset, Um, uh, for the brand itself. I genuinely do like to focus on the notion of honesty and truth when it comes to a lot of the things that end up occurring with the blending process of the cigar this is a passion, it's an art form. It's, there's a lot of love that comes out of this. Considering we have the factory, yeah, we can go on ahead and essentially oversaturate the market with a million different cigars, but then would it really be for the sake of the love and the passion you carry for the industry and culture as a whole, or would it just be to make a quick buck? Um, we stand by the fact that we are smokers, like I said beforehand, uh, before brand owners. And I I really wanted to live by that adage, specifically with the cigar as the launching point.
0: So the um, the uh, the blending process, as it were, um, let's talk about a little bit about how slow it is, because this isn't like you go down, you pick a little bit of this pellon and this pelone, and you roll it together, and then bam, you have a cigar. Like it's it's you know, more- yes, that's part of it, selecting tobaccos, but, but then you have to wait because <laughs> when you smoke that cigar that day, it's going to taste different than what if you let it sit for three weeks or three months okay. or whatever. So, I mean, again, this was a 10 10 blend step process, but there were pro- there were thousands of little steps in between that. Like how how long were you letting like each blend kind of sit before you like, uh, no, we need to tweak it again. Oh, no, we need to tweak it again, or did it vary considerably throughout that the, this 10-step process that we're talking about?
1: So, and that's a great question. In relation to it, the reason that on average, we tend to spend about five to about close to about maybe half a year when it comes to our blends, because we're able to go to the factory, smoke through the fresh ones, and then have that opportunity to let them sit for about a month and a half or so, and then smoke them again and have a genuine consensus as to whether we enjoy it or we don't. More often than not, and you are on the money when it comes to this, if you let it sit, it will change on you. And more often than not, it isn't for the better. Um, (laughs) It's one of those things where you somewhat need to be a perfectionist with the craft. So in regards towards this blend, it worked well simply due to the notion that the COVID conditions back in the Dominican Republic are still up and going. Um, We're now at 50% capacity in relation to what we used to have rolling at the factory. But that being said, going over there, the big fear factor was that you needed that testing to be done three days prior to flying back into the States. And it was so inconsistent that chances are we would have gotten stuck over there. And that was a huge fear factor because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on back home. This is our main distribution location domestically. So we can't do that internationally. So for the longest time, my grandfather would spend two weeks at the factory, still does, mind you, and then would take a weekend to fly back into Miami, see the family for a bit, and then take his leave once again. During that process, I would go, I'd make the percentages, I'd talk about the tobacco question that I'd like to add, and he would go and he'd roll them and then bring them back within two weeks' time, to which we smoked the fresh ones, and he brought enough that we were able to let them sit. So as we toy along with the blends, and we all give our own personal opinions as to what we enjoy or we don't, I then go on ahead and tweak the sheet, give it back to my grandfather, he takes his leave, and we let the cigars sit. We had another two weeks, and at this point, they've been sitting in there for two weeks. We smoke the new ones that are fresh, and then within two weeks' time, we bring the other ones, the originals, into the fray to see how they vary in relation towards that little bit of aging that they were given. Um, It changes a lot towards the cigar as a whole. Uh, We found, personally speaking, that on a very fresh, fresh fresh-rolled cigar for Sangre Nueva, you're going to pick up a lot more of that strength. It's there. It's viably there on to the point where my grandfather, I haven't seen this happen before. He is what I consider uh, a hefty, hefty smoker when it comes to cigars. I saw him sweat for the first time in 24 years of being alive, (laughs) which was incredible to see him put it down and be like, I I need a moment. And like, Holy hell. Uh, (laughs) What did I do? Exactly. (laughs) And it it really, which is something else that I can dive into as well the big nerve factor in relation to creating this blend isn't just putting it out there domestically or hell, even internationally. Uh, We are in a few international locations. But that being said, it was more so, does it jive well with my family's palate? Because we all have such an eclectic taste. And my grandfather is the first to be reluctant to kind of shoot outside the box, similar to Patrimonial last year, something that he wasn't the biggest fan of. And yet it carries its accolades, for Sangre Nueva to see him come around the curb and try the aged product and be like, this, this hits my palate. I like this. Previously it was way too strong for my taste. He's naturally a Connecticut smoker. He loves a reserve of natural and he'll go through eight within a day's time. Um, so very avid smoker. But those little nuances, incredible. They're incredible. Uh, and it all comes towards in you know the the, the blending as a whole. I, I genuinely do trust my family's palette above all else. But considering it was my own personal blend, it was difficult to differentiate the two, to not shoot along the sides of I should trust my family in relation to what they're telling me, and going back towards, but what do I want for relation to this blend? That was the real uh, thread walker for me. It was a long time coming. Um, having it aged made a huge difference. And as you said, this is a slow, slow process. And typically, it does take us half a year, but in this instance, it took us eight to nine months, considering all the back and forth my grandfather had to do and letting cigars actually age with something that could viably and drastically affect the cigar, considering how potent Kentucky Fire Cure it is, you know?
0: Oh, definitely. I... I... I was i can't imagine about that the way it, it would smoke one time and then you know like you said a month later how it would smoke differently and everything um that happens all the time just just in our experience you know vegas is one of those terrible things too like you know the pca is is a great event i'm not knocking it at all but when you're when you're smoking cigars on the trade show floor it's 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 almost like a grain of you're, you take it with a grain of salt Sometimes there's great ones. And I think, in and, and, and point of fact, this year was actually really nice because I smoked more good cigars than I did bad. And I never judge on the pre-show, uh, on the trade show floor, because, man, I mean, it's the desert air. I mean, they're all crispy as hell. It's like, you know, fried chicken in some cases. And it's just, <laughs> I mean, you you never know what you're going to get. And, you, you know, you're like, you kind of get an impression of the cigar. Like, oh, this could be, you know, you know, once humidified, this could actually be something. Real and then you, you, you enjoy it later when it's actually in conditions that are a little bit more enjoyable. So uh, like I said, I'm at the halfway point. I'm going to continue to smoke it through these next couple of segments here. And I wanted to give some more impressions. And we could talk a little bit more about how how the cigar finishes here. Um, but wanted to jump into break up the show here a little bit with our, a couple of our fun segments. And uh, we'll go ahead and drop into our United uh, Cigar uh, Presidential Trivia uh, segment, which, of course, is always brought to you by United Cigars. Featuring Elagiana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atta Bay Byron, and now Alfonso Lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. Now, we hit things off uh, tonight's show uh, talking about youth, talking about, uh, you know, 24, and I, I can't believe that COVID has fucked up everything, man. I I, I, <laughs> I I had in my head that you were 22, and you're 24 now, and, and. uh <laughs> <laughs> man time man time just flies like it's crazy and it's like the two two years just kind of screwed up everything everything but oh, yeah. uh but youth is is something that uh it, it on, honestly gets lost when we talk about u.s presidents you know there have been younger presidents but most people are old uh our current president uh joe biden is actually the oldest president to take office um um which is uh which is interesting of course but uh i wanted to uh talk about his uh he served under uh, president obama uh so not his predecessor his predecessor of course was donald trump but uh barack obama was actually the fifth youngest president and i chose five because you were the fifth generation of costa Cueva cigars so there's the correlation so barack obama was the fifth youngest president to ever take office uh and so i wanted to see if you could guess his age so i'm going to give you three choices so here we go uh, and, uh, so point of reference, I'll, I'll, help you out here. The youngest president in history, if you don't know this is Teddy Roosevelt. He was 42 years old when he was, when he became president, of course, he became president when, uh, McKinley was shot and he was, he was, uh, um, sworn in as, as president, but he was 42. He was the youngest president in history still is. And Barack Obama is the fifth youngest so when he became president was he a 43 b 47 or c
1: 50 wow fifth youngest president i'd have to i'd have to go with option oh shoot this this is actually I'll, i'll give
0: it to you again it's cool yeah no worries you don't have to so it's a 43 B forty seven or C fifty?
1: Tell you what, I'm gonna go with fifty with C.
0: Okay, really close, really close. So it was actually B forty seven. Okay, so forty seven years, one hundred and sixty nine days to be precise. Uh, I did not know the days off the top of my head. I just knew I just knew his age, but (laughs) um, but actually there were. I'm trying to do this in my head. One,
1: two. There's.
0: There there are actually nine presidents that started their presidency before their 50th birthday. Out of, uh, you know, out of out of all of them, of course. Uh, So which is, you know, uh, we've you know, we've only had forty-six. Uh, president, So, but only nine started before their 50th birthday. As I mentioned, Teddy was number one. He was 42 years. He was almost 43, by the way. He was 42 years, 322 days. Um, John F. Kennedy was number two. He was 43 years old. Bill Clinton was number three. He was 46. Here's the one that throws a lot of people, and this is pretty cool. Ulysses S. Grant. Really? Yeah. So Ulysses S. Grant was 46, almost 47 years old when he no took country. office. Yeah. That's the one that throws people. It's pretty interesting. Because you think he was the commander, he was the commander of the Union Army during the entire well, not not during the time during a portion of the Civil War, obviously. And um, you know, he was one of the most, you know, President Lincoln's most trusted advisors and everything. And he was at the time he was in his, you know, his early forties. Which, i know. okay yeah, wow. which makes me feel which makes me feel really unaccomplished right now because i'm pushing 40 so um <laughs> but uh but we were talking about youth and i thought this was an interesting thing so you're 24 so you know at you know if you live another lifetime of 24 years so at 48 years old you could still be one of the youngest presidents to ever be if you ever decide to go that route i don't think you would but you know i think you got a pretty great picture in this so but uh, that i thought that was interesting though but the the idea of youth right is and and this is what i was talking about like how i started the show and and it's how my show notes reads like youth is it's all it's all perspective right it really is. so so it's 24 years blending a cigar in a in an industry of tradition legacy and everything like that may seem young but in the but grand it, yeah exactly is it um so I, I thought i thought that was an interesting question to kind of throw out and everything so uh and then of course i i chose the fifth the fifth youngest because it just was appropriate it ended up being uh, someone you're familiar with because it was in your lifetime but you were uh so that so if you're 24 that means you were born in 98 yes sir
1: 98 so um uh,
0: so you've in your lifetime you've actually seen two of the five youngest presidents, Bill Clinton that's, and uh, Barack Obama. So it's actually pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I, I think I think that's um you know there was this thought that that's the way that the office was going to go, and then the last two presidents, Trump and Biden, have been super old. You know, Trump was seventy when he got elected, and Biden was uh um, oh god, how old was he when he took office? I think it was like. No, he's 78. Um, Seventy-eight, Just crazy. He's the oldest. The, the most recent. Yeah, the most recent in 20, 2020 uh, was 78 years old. Now he's 80. So if we can believe it, it's crazy. It um, <laughs> it's just absolutely nuts. Um, but uh, or about to be 80. He hasn't turned 80 yet, um, actually. But I can't remember when his birthday is, but I know he hasn't turned 80. I think it's in like November or something. Um, but... Um, but I, um, I, I, found that, I found that pretty incredibly interesting. Um, I know we're going to get to some of your travels here in a little bit. Have you ever been, have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? Uh,
1: yes. Yes, I, I was much, much younger. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I was somewhere around the age of, of 14, if not 13. But uh, I did go. My father is a huge, huge, I can't stress this enough, history buff. Um, so much so, a little anecdote for you guys in particular, We went to Arizona and they have, we were going for events and whatnot, but we were specifically in Phoenix and we were visiting a shop for an event that they had there locally. There was a certain plaque that says when the building itself, or better said, when that strip was established. And my father, being the man he is, of course, takes towards reading it because he finds these types of things intriguing. He found a grammatical error to be had on the actual plaque itself. And- (laughs) To this day, you can ask him about it. It bothers the heck out of him. It's been, I want to say, close to about uh, even maybe even half a year, or close to even um, nine months or so, um, since before even a Nueva. I mean, he saw this forever ago. And I kid you not, about two days ago, he brought it up to my still attention. I still think about this. My like, pops just, just let it go. You can't do anything about it. Um, but it, because of my father being the history buff that he is, when I was younger, I did a lot of my travels. And then I ended up falling in love with traveling as a whole.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I know it was a young age, and I know it was a while ago. I mean, was there, was there something in particular about your trip to Washington that you, the, uh, a place that you really enjoyed visiting,
1: or a thing that you did? That I can remember off the top of my head. Um, and I, I am, and I'm really sorry about this, guys. I'm terrible when it comes to naming locations, so to speak. But I do remember shivering my butt off at. <laughs> This uh, location because we went during the, the springtime, so it was freezing. I remember that much. My ears—I've never gotten so red in their lives. And um, it was, oh my gosh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It was a, a memorial location, actually one that's very, very prominent in Washington D.C. The Jefferson or Lincoln Memorial or the Jefferson. Okay. The Jefferson, and I, I recall just my father being in awe about it. It was one of those things where I started getting into photography as well. Um, and to this very day, I'm a couple phones in at this point, but I still have it saved onto my actual laptop of my father. Just admiring this, uh, it was a really cool moment. It's when I started genuinely understanding just how much of a history buff he was, and I, I've come to appreciate it very much. So uh, I'm I'm on a different side of things. I'm more towards the aesthetic. I do love nature. I, I love uh, essentially checking out locations that. You can't find here because i'm sure most of you folks know florida's as as flat as could be it's flat as a wooden table i mean at least miami is the biggest hill we have here is mount trashmore um which says a lot so there's there's nothing here beyond just beaches and flat roads i'm right next to the everglades so i got a good amount of gators um but you know it, it's cool to go to a different location and see something completely different like traveling down Route 66 um, which I had the pleasure of doing actually uh, a couple months back with my girlfriend when we went over there to North Carolina. Um, oh, that's and cool. it was one of the, 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 the most compelling moments to me was having that moment of essentially silence. I was smoking a cigar outside of uh, the trunk of this rented minivan that we had overlooking this beautiful, beautiful valley. I mean, it was amazing. The sun was setting. I have I'm a sucker for aesthetic. I'm a sucker for beautiful environments. And I, I, I appreciate it to such a degree because every location is different. And that's really cool to me. That's, that's awesome. I, everyone
0: always talks, when everyone talks about Route 66, they always talk about it in the Western United States and that everyone knows, most people should know that the whole point of Route 66 was actually it's transcontinental. It goes from All East to West and no one, no one really talks about it on the East coast. Good stuff. So it's incredible
1: I, I hell it was one of those things where obviously i knew it, it was transcontinental all the way through but considering right. I, I didn't take into consideration better said how close we were so i was like we, we have to do this um i don't even mind if we we do the entire loop drive and it takes us three hours i just i really want to take this in and my girlfriend uh thankfully enjoys the fact that i'm so spontaneous with these things and she's very gung-ho about it i think that helps a lot Because I'm very dynamic in that regard. (laughs) Um, uh, Another example of that would be I'd love to go skydiving, knowing full well I'll pass out because I'm afraid of heights. But I'll give it a go. Why not? You know, life's too short. It's awesome. So okay,
0: so you haven't been yet. You haven't skydived yet.
1: No, not yet. Um, I'd love to. I I feel as if uh, one of my buddies in question, very good friend of mine. Wants to do it for his birthday, and the concept is getting closer and closer. I'm a little more nerve wracked about it, but I, it is what it is. I mean, it's going to be an experience. I might not remember most of it, <laughs> but it's going to be pretty cool to say I did that, you know. So I, I I've been, and it's
0: it it's a dude, it's the thrill of a lifetime, man. You may you may yeah. pass out, you may not remember it, but <sighs> so there's this really cool story about skydiving, and it's 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 lost a lot of its luster because of whose story it is. But I think I think the world, the word, the words are powerful. It, uh, it, it, it's it's Will Smith, the actor Will Smith, who tells a story about uh, about skydiving, and um, and it has a great philosophy of life wrapped into it, which is really interesting. Like I said, it's it's kind of lost its movement, uh, uh, its moving nature, just because of you know recent events of this year, uh, <laughs> Will Smith. But but he talks about how he says it. it, it It starts with the experience you've described it perfectly, right? It's a buddy who wants to do it for a birthday and you're like, hell yeah, fuck yeah, let's do this. We're going to do it. Yeah. yeah." And then all of a sudden you're, then you get to the runway and you're about to get in the, and you're about to get into the the plane and everyone starts getting a little bit quieter. And then on the plane, everyone kind of is even quieter and then people start kind of doing nervous laughter and it's just kind of like, okay, all right, here we're going to do. And then all of a sudden you're at the door. And you've got two feet out, you know, you've got two feet on the edge there. And and that's a perfect representation of fear, right? And all the fear is behind you and in its presence moment, but on the other side of fear is the most freeing experience of a lifetime. So if you can, if you can push past fear, you get to experience, it, you get to experience the experience of your lifetime. It's one, it's it's and not to say that you know that skydiving will be the greatest thing of your entire life and you know, or or mine for that matter, but it's a it's a perfect metaphor for life too. Because I mean there's a lot of things that we're afraid of in life, you know, it could be anything. Um but it's the fear you get to that point where it's like, okay, the, at that point, the fear's behind you and like you can, you can either decide I'm going to take that next step away from my fear and experience something I've never experienced before. And it could be the experience of a lifetime or I can just sit back and sit in my fear for the rest of my life. And, um, it's it's a it's a really you could probably look this up on YouTube. It's a very very it, the way and of course they put music on it and it's very powerful, mm-hmm. but and 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 Will Smith is very good at storytelling, so it's it's much more entertaining than I just did in the little you know Reader's Digest version of three minutes. But it, it it's a very valid point, and and that would say if I mean I I don't want to push you one way or another, man. I I really I really enjoyed it. I've got kids now, so I won't do it again. <laughs> but uh, um. But you know, if it's something you want to do, I, I highly encourage it, man. It's 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 a
1: thrill of a lifetime. So I'm really looking forward to it. I, I know it's it's, and very well spoken by Will Smith in particular. I first off, I genuinely do enjoy that concept in relation towards fear and freedom and that boundary just being taking that leap of faith. Um, that's tremendous. That can be said with a lot of different things in this lifetime, uh, which I endure. But that being said, it's one of those imminent things. I, I know it's happening one way or another. He's dying to get me to go. And I, I you know, I, I genuinely want to, because I, I've done parasailing. I am I, I kid you guys, like no, no jokes, all jokes aside, I am deathly. And I mean this sincerely, like deathly afraid of heights by default planes too. And considering we do a lot of traveling, go figure, um, It feels like I'm in a metal tin can 30,000 feet in the sky. I don't know what's being propelled. It it freaks me the hell out just thinking about it. But I know that my grandfather in his lifetime, which I know is coming soon at this point, wants to, for example, go to Mexico, be placed inside a tank underwater and feed sharks. Like those things, (laughs) out of all things, he brought it up. I remember talking to him about it. He goes, what would you like to do for your birthday? This was, it feels like eons ago. I said, well, I'd love to go to Asia. I was like you know what abuelo I, i've never asked you what, what do you want to do he says well i thought of hand gliding but not i, I don't think that really suits my palate. it's like well okay then what really does he goes tell you what i've always wanted to do this i think now is the best time more than ever in the next couple of years let's go shark tank diving and we'll <laughs> spend a little extra to feed the sharks and I remember the room went silent for like a couple seconds. It was like, "What the heck did this?" Did people think act? he was.
0: Did people think he was joking?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. My mom. Started... <laughs> so my mom stepped outside at that very moment. She actually grabbed us some coffee, um, and we were having a couple of drinks. My grandfather's go-to drink is Zacapa rum. He loves it. Um, he thinks it pairs very well with Connecticut cigars, and I applaud him for that. I agree to that notion. But I'm almost coming out, and as he said that, and considering the stillness from that conversation piece my mom started baffling into laughter she had to sprint back inside she dropped the coffee cup um i remember (laughs) from inside because she genuinely thought that it was a joke that saw that we were just all taken back by but no he was dead serious he really wants to do that and it's I think that's a testament towards that fear and that freedom having that that portion of this is this is my lifetime i want to be able to experience new things whether i love it or whether I just I, I'm, I'm terrified by it it's cool to say you had the opportunity to do it um I did a hot air balloon ride over in uh in Arizona oh, wow okay that is a story and a half not to say it's long but holy hell the experience because as cool as it was and as terrified as I was in relation towards getting the actual flame going pumping it up getting inside of it um, and all of us just experiencing the beauty of the sun rising that morning and having it set in, um, in Albuquerque, like it was just, it was such a cool, cool experience until the landing, right? The landing.
0: I've heard, I've heard, I have not been in one. So yes, I want to hear this. It was
1: you it's, it's that, uh, the comfort uh, you're in your, you feel like you're in your comfort zone. You're experiencing this beauty to be had. There's other people on hotter balloon rides. More often than not, the individuals that own the company know what they're doing, so you feel as if you're in safe hands up until that landing. And so much is dependent on the draft of wind coming in that could completely fumble how you land. We crashed through multiple trees, I remember that. We and at the time we were just looking at the wildlife, we we're like, crap, it's just tremendous up here. We're starting to do our descent, and as we're going through, the wind picks up the actual hotter balloon moves in speed and it stays consistent, right? So it's not descending anymore, even though we're pumping less gas or the the guy in question, right, was pumping less um, flame, so to speak, not gas. Um, And we crashed through our first set of trees. Everybody has that nervous laughter, but okay, it happens. Yeah. So we realize we're going straight to a barrage worth of trees that are out here and we're talking Arizona. As you guys know, I mean, the the wildlife, it's very different. It's more in comparison, let's say here, you're not slamming into a palm tree and you can't curve around it either. It's just, it's like brush and we're full smacking all the way through this. My grandparents are with us. We're worried sick (laughs) and we, it was crazy. I remember we were like, oh my God, the the, the whole thing went silent. We went into panic because we're stuck on this little thing. There's minimal space. All the families on there including the guy that's working the actual hot air balloon and we crash land finally hits well oh, and we tip and we tip on gravel we land on this gravel road and i remember at that moment in time i was on the front end of it because i like i said i love photos i love taking in the nature and the aspect of things so i'm on the floor holding the family literally like in my arms making sure my grandparents aren't touching the ground. And it landed, and thankfully, it didn't move from that point. The other individuals were quick to be arriving, and they helped push it back up. And then once it landed back and it was solid, as we tried to get out, the wind picked up again. And the whole thing, <laughs> and started dragging us, brother. And when I tell you, it was it was uh, one of those terrifying. My grandmother didn't know what to grab onto, so she grabbed onto the handle for the flame. And now you have this flamethrower shooting horizontally. All the families trying their best not to scrape up on the ground. No, it was brutal, brother. It was brutal. My, my my grandmother to this very day will become pale white just even mentioning it. Um, it, it was such. <laughs> tell,
0: so, tell her to skip over
1: this part when she's <laughs> <my> <laughs> watch it. it was incredible. Don't get oh, me wow. wrong. It was it was uh, such an experience. It, the landing did not help Um, especially for a first time basis it was one of those yeah I don't know if we're doing this again but we did it and it was cool um you can ask my father true story uh, uh there was a lot of uh, batter and bruises to be had even my grandparents my dad uh, my grandfather had his hand completely shredded um and I recall just my father being utterly utterly pissed at the matter just that how unwell coordinated that was but granted it was also partly due to the elements so it was somewhat out of the control one of those things you just got to kind of swallow and hope for the best thankfully nobody was super injured but there were minor injuries to be had um and this is a true story i kid you guys not
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, i've i've known your dad for a few years now and he, he's one of the most genial uh, congenial people i've ever met very warm very hospitable and just 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 nice just just a, just a, and a consummate gentleman. I'm, I, 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 I've, I've said this to, I've said this to people. Like I, I, I genuinely do not want to see him pissed off. I, I, I would shudder at the thought of your father, mad. I just, I, I don't know that, 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 that scares me. So I, I feel for the, I feel for the, the hot air balloon operators. <laughs> they were in the wrath of your dad when he was mad, cause that the thought I've never seen him mad, but the thought of it, like, I just think like, I just, I would never want to see that.
1: I, he's not the type to um to hold on to grudges but i i concur with you i do see his frustration from time to time he is genuinely a um i don't want to say uptight i feel as if that's a i'd be remiss to say that about my father but he's an astute human being so that being said he's also a perfectionist and he's very strict so to see him frustrated is one of those things where he won't hold the grudge but at that very moment it's quite explosive to make matters worse we were also the same individuals after that whole accident happens to pack up the hot air balloon and put it away. So we see an extra 45 minutes to help them pack the whole thing up. You could have yeah, managed <laughs> father was livid He was oh livid God. yeah oh and I was, brutal. I was brutal oh
0: man <laughs> Oh my <laughs> gosh what, a, what an <laughs> awesome story yeah tell your grandmother to skip this part. Uh, Man, that's that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, we, we started with we started with young presidents, and this is how we ended up here. But uh, that was our uh, that was our United Cigar uh, presidential trivia segment, which of course is always brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabe, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Uh, smoke one today. Start living United. Start living free in a hot air balloon. Just if you're worried about the landing, just skip over the last couple minutes of the interview and it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> great experience up until then. Um, so fantastic. Um, I just This is a, a funny moment to turn into something serious, but I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this next subject with you. Um, it, it, it reminds me when you were sharing this story with me, uh, Alec, it, it reminds me of a lot. Uh, I, I had a I had a similar friend in high school uh, that went through an experience that we're about to talk about that uh, that your that your good friend did as well and uh, it's um we we're talking we've talked a lot about youth tonight and I think it's very appropriate because there the the strength of youth is is something that is even in, I, and I'm not an old man by any stretch I'm you know like I said I'm pushing 40 but the the strength of of youth is always something that still mesmerizes me as a as a as a as a father of two young men their strength is something that's very inspiring to me too and and so when you see young men and women go through ordeals uh with with grace and strength it's 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 very inspiring it's very moving and and that kind of brings us to our next segment which is um Something that uh, is actually turning two years old here in a couple of weeks. I started this on my birthday a couple of years ago where uh, every week I asked my guests to bring a nonprofit or charity of their choosing uh, to talk about, to spotlight and to uh, to raise awareness for. And um, I used, uh, chose the Sebastian Strong Foundation, uh, which was started by uh, Sebastian Ortiz's father. And, uh, but you knew Sebastian Ortiz. And uh, so I thought... You'd, uh, I'll, let, I'll give you the spotlight here, Alec, and I'll let you tell a little bit about your, uh, your friend and uh, how this uh, foundation means so much to you.
1: Sebastian was um, an incredible young man. Uh, very, very intelligent. Uh, for those of you that don't know, during high school, I went to a private school, all boys Catholic, <clears throat> uh, called Christopher Columbus High School. They have a tremendous cross-country team. And I met Sebastian during my time frame of being a part of that team. Um, he was, I want to say, one of the more prominent uh, components to the team and towards our morale. And the foundation itself, I'll, I'll get to uh, in a little bit, but in relation towards Sebastian, he... At a portion of the time, ended up picking up a very rare type of cancer to which off the top of my head, I, I and I apologize, folks, I can't think of the actual name itself, um, but from what we were told and from what we know, it was something viably rare to which at that moment in time, spending a couple years hanging out with such a cool individual who was always smiling, always in good faith. Um, and very much a strong, hard-believed Catholic. I mean, he was just all around a, a very well-balanced young man. He, at this point in time of carrying his diagnosis, uh, approached the team after taking a little bit of a hiatus and explained to us as to why he wouldn't be around as often as he'd like. Um, at that moment in time, he had this dream to do a particular race, considering we were all cross-country runners, called the Ragnar Relay, which consists of 12 individuals doing 202 miles from Virginia Key all the way to Key West. On average, this race takes about two days time with that full set of team to complete, Um, but he, for the life of him, wanted all of the members of the cross-country team to join and to set a record, something that he could genuinely be proud of. And I remember at that notion of time, helping to coerce these individuals to clear their schedule for this particular race, something that a lot of people, um, or better said, a lot of my fellow colleagues, my fellow Hellions were terrified to do, considering it was way above the mileage that we normally had or, or tended to run at that point in time. So having Sebastian come there and approach everybody on the subject and then having it happen and then setting a record, it was the very last Ragnar relay uh, we completed it in 23 hours. And uh, to to see him, and I'm sorry if I get sentimental, folks, to see him as happy as he was, was was tremendous. Um, and at that point in time, in taking that photo, we gave her hugs because we knew he was going to go through his therapy in relation to chemo and whatnot. And um, he took another hiatus, to which States was coming around the curve. It's been a whole year at this point since we've actually seen him Um, And as we're starting our practices and we're getting ourselves mentally prepared for states, we had a very, very competitive team that we were uh, essentially rivaling with at that moment. Not only just Belen, but St. Thomas Aquinas down here in Florida had a tremendous team. So we were very terrified. Obviously we want to come home with gold if possible, right? So one morning early practice, and I remember it was about 7.50 that we all aligned at Tropical Park down here in Miami. Um, Sebastian came out onto the field no hair Um, he looked weak but to see him be in such good standing to to see the smile on this kid's face man um, considering what he was going through it it was tremendous it was it was incredible Um, that was one of the very last instances that I was able to see him He passed away soon after, Um, and by default, we all shared the grief to be had in relation to losing somebody that was just astute for that morale for running. It was a huge component of our team, Um, and then his father went in and created the Sebastian Strong Foundation, which is in relation towards a specific type of cancer to help other individuals and families in question with their family members in particular, also dealing with this stuff on the younger audience side of things. I think it's a tremendous cause. Um, I wasn't even in Florida at the time when I heard of his passing. And it was one of the, the few instances that I remember, I was in Spain with family on vacation. Um, and this was after States, in which I walked into uh, essentially one of the, the larger cathedrals that they had there. And I, I just, I, I sat and I, I prayed for hours. Um, the news hit me hard, it hit my team very hard, and we stand really, really behind this foundation. And for what uh, Sebastian's father does, I mean, it's, it's to go through something like that and to still stand strong is, is incredible. It, it's always been incredible to me, it's been incredible to my family. I, I stand by the movement, I, or better said, I stand by what he's trying to accomplish. And that's for the betterment of the younger audiences. I, I think it's tremendous. Uh, if you haven't looked into it, please do give the opportunity looking into that Sebastian Strong Foundation. Um, anything truth be told helps and it goes an extremely long way. And that also being said, clutch your loved ones. Um, you, you never know how short life is. You really don't. <laughs> it's. It's
0: it's a really powerful story. You know, you sh- you shared a little bit of it with me uh, privately, and and uh, and then I went and checked checked it out and read it, and then I mean it it, it I mean it brought tears to my eyes. I mean, I'm a, I'm a father of boys, so like I have children, and uh, you know, you know, Net- I'm sure your father would agree with this: is that I mean, the worst fear that he's probably ever had is the fear that I share with like most fathers: is you never want to bury your children. And that's something that, you know, Sebastian's father had to unfortunately do the, I, 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 led this, this segment starting with the strength of youth and the, the strength that he had to lead your team, even when he wasn't a part of it, you know, the inspiration that he gave you as an individual, your team collectively is, is, is certainly inspiring. I, if you, you can read this on the you can read this on the website. I'll share this, of course, in the show notes for everybody out there. But third, this 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 kid, okay, 16, who shouldn't have should be learning how to drive a car and picking out you know tuxes for prom. 32 rounds of chemo, 23 rounds of radiation, four surgeries. Unbelievable. 14 months of battling. Um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. I found it for you, uh, Alec. It's uh ra- rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer. And you probably knew this uh, as well, just back then. And we haven't thought too much about it, but yeah, they, he, your, his father started this organization because at the time that's all they had to go on was just the traditional cancer treatment of radiation and chemotherapy because the, the, the the only known treatment for this particular very rare type of cancer was 40 years old yeah i mean that's that's terrifying that they didn't have any more answers and so he his father is fighting like hell for other other parents and other individuals to have answers if if it ever is befallen to them but uh a beautiful uh beautiful organization for uh for a life well you know while short but incredibly well lived so very inspiring um I'm getting choked up here too man <laughs> um, um <coughs> excuse me um but as tradition here on on uh, on our show uh, alec and i'm sure you'll be pleased with this um when i started this two years ago <coughs> uh Part me and part my wife's idea, and uh, we 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 decided that we were going to do this as long as we could. And so every week, you know, we we we're given these great stories and these great charities and these great nonprofits that do everything. Some for the cigar industry, in the case of Sebastian Strong, nothing to do with it at all. Uh, other than your amazing connection to this amazing young man. So um, later tonight, my wife and I will be donating a small amount of money in your honor, and in Sebastian's <laughs> honor. Um, so that, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully one day, um, this horrible, horrible disease can be, uh, eradicated. So, so thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Alec. Indeed. Sincerely. Thank you. Um, we can move on to some fun things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Let's talk more about Sangre Nueva. Uh, um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, check out SebastianStrong.org. Again, it'll be in the show notes and everything. Read the story about this young man. Very, very, very powerful uh, and beautiful, a beautiful soul and a beautiful young man. So, um, but uh, I, I'm wrapping up my uh, my Sangre Nueva right now. And uh, well, I'm probably in the last third here. I'm, I'm, I'm still enjoying. It. Uh, what I've noticed about it in particular here, Alec, is that um, and. I've commented on this in recent uh, shows and things like that is that um, um, <laughs> my, my friends on when, when we do the round table for a smoking syndicate, the ben Lee, Will Cooper and Aaron Nielsen? we talk, we joke around because some people have talked about the crescendo of flavor that happens at the end of the cigar. And, and uh, it's very rare to find a cigar that peaks at the end. Uh, I think cigars, most cigars peak somewhere in the middle. Um, some have a great start and then just drop off. Um, It's very rare to find something that that kind of sings at the end. Um, But apart from that, um, I think the center is the star of this particular one, particularly right after you hit that shoulder that we were talking about. Um, But the uh, what I am enjoying about the as I get to the conclusion of the cigar is that it's not it's not burning hot. And I like I told you, I had to slow down there because I was I mean, I was hitting it pretty hard because it was just really, really engaging of a cigar, but it's not getting hot. It's not getting acrid. Uh, there's still, the flavors are very, still very consistent and everything. Um, is that, um, would you find, do you think that's the blend overall, or do you think it's this Vitola specifically that behaves this way?
1: That's a very interesting question. Um, we had this Vitola in relation towards, I tell you, tell you what, to answer your question, uh, it's a little bit of both, right? So with the amount of Pennsylvania broadleaf and also that Kentucky fire cured, which, uh, all you know, jokes not intended, it does catch like wildfire, so to speak, when you light it. It's one of those that just burns quick. Um, you'd expect it to get hot towards that last little bit of that third, but I'd also believe the Vitola, because of that particular size, that it doesn't burn nearly as hot. It's one of those where I've recently started getting used to the actual folks, but when it comes to the blend. I mean, even from this point where I was smoking it, it started getting hot quite literally as it's catching into that third little portion. Um, I, that's just an interesting question, because I've I haven't perceived it as uh, the vitola or the blend itself that makes the cigar or in general, generally speaking, uh, hot, when it comes to your fingertips, I would say that the smaller gauges would potentially get to that, you know, extent of fire. Uh, not fire but you know that heat, the heat. yeah yeah uh, so I, I i really do think it's a little bit of both the kentucky fire cured so it does burn quick so in relation to the robusto let's say the robusto i think is one of those that will burn somewhat hot in relation towards that end um depending on who you are right and how quickly you're smoking through it because i'm a i'm a vibe, i'm a quick smoker that also has something to do with it just are you the casual smoker that would take the opportunity or the hour and Fifteen to twenty minutes, let's say, smoking the cigar, in which it'll be delicate; and won't be overly burned. Or you, like me, where I I really do run through my cigars um, so much. Of, I'm this is my second one currently. I'm already about to start hitting that halfway mark, you know. So I feel as if there's a lot of factors in relation to it. But for this particular cigar and this particular vitola, it doesn't burn nearly as hot. I, I truth be told, I don't find the other ones to burn nearly as hot. Also, but. I beg to defer in saying that that double perfecto, I think burns less on your fingertips than the other two counterparts.
0: Awesome. Yeah. It was just an observation I was having. I'll, I'll, I'll give my conclusion thoughts here in just a little bit. We have some more questions, but I did uh, speaking of other, other, other blends and you've already mentioned the cigar earlier tonight. Uh, it's uh Louis, your father's uh, apparently favorite cigar to start the day off with and everything. And we have actually haven't talked about it on the show, although we've talked about it elsewhere. But um, the Patrimonio, uh, which is, I guess, been on the market for about 18 months now. Uh, great success. You know, got a number one cigar of the year from Stogie Press. And and uh, Jimmy, of course, uh, certainly loved it quite a bit. I enjoyed it as well. Um, it was a little bit. Uh, um, it, it was it was certainly what I really appreciated about it was it was much different than the other blends that you guys have put out to market. I thought the, the spice level in particular was a lot more subdued uh, than some of the other cigars. Like even the, even the reservas, which are, are, are milder cigars. Even the Maduro is a, is a more, is a more toned down Maduro. um, Still had that kind of that spiciness to it with some of the tobaccos that you guys chose in the blending process and everything. But I found the Patrimonio to be, um, more soft in terms of like spice level, yeah. um, but it was also, it was also a very heavy cigar. I felt like we were talking about weight, right? Like I, I remember the patrimonial when the first time I smoked it, I was like, man, this is a heavy cigar. How many tobaccos are in that one?
1: Just as a reference point. So there is, uh, it was the first time using Coro. So there's Corojo from Honduras. There is a Nicaraguan binder. So we already have two. There's some Pennsylvania broadly for that strength some Peruvian tobacco as well, and also some Dominican tobacco. We did not use any Colombian, which adds to that sweetness. And we didn't use anything in relation to like, um, anything Habano oriented, or... or I guess the kicker would be how we diluted it to the point where it doesn't carry as much spice. So I would say right then and there, you have yourself five countries, so, yeah. So yeah, so not, uh, so almost, um, so we had six in
0: this one. So about the same but that one felt like, that one again from my memory that one even felt heavier it's it's so crazy that how much this wrapper kind of lightens the load a little bit it's um, what we're talking about um but what uh, but back to the patrimonial what i what i what i love i i love peruvian tobacco um I love when it's blended well like it, it's one of those things we we're talking about kentucky fire cure. peruvian tobacco by itself if you ever smoke and i'm sure you have smoked yeah. just a uh, like a farm roll of it or a pure of it like it's just it's so it's so overpowering it's so yeah. floral it's floral and citrus it's like biting a you know a lemon flower um it's crazy um but when it's used really well uh by some fantastic blenders like you and your father and grandfather it's uh really really balances out of blend really nicely and uh, uh the first one i smoked it uh it uh it had more of a like what i call more of a milkshake draw you know it was a little it was a little firm but the sec uh the second ones and so on some of the other ones that i've had had that firmer of a draw to it but what i found to be really enjoyable about that smoke with that firmer draw you you were able to get not as much smoke volume as the sangra nueva as an example but uh, as a re- and a reference point, but the 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 nuanced characteristics is I found it very I found it incredibly well balanced and intriguing, considering it was so much lighter than the other what I was familiar with, with within the Casa
1: Crevice portfolio. Is that fair? Oh, that's a hundred percent fair. Um, in relation to the tobacco being used with Patrimonio, that was, and pardon me, folks, because we've heard now considering it's been out for essentially, as you said, 18 months, that it isn't as heavy in relation towards what we were really shooting for. Um, I personally, in my taste, I I could not have that be a morning smoke for me. I consider it to be that medium plus to full, but I I have had the opportunity to speak with other individuals that believe it to be more of that medium soft note, but still carry some oomph. It's just not um, what we call in Spanish, a rompepecho, which is a chess kicker. That was our attempt at creating something viably stronger than what we have in our lines uh, previously at that point in time. Um, and I, that also goes to show the difference in relation to palate. My father likes a cigar that tends to be a little more hefty. So he'll gravitate a lot towards, let's say, the, uh, the Padron 1964, let's say, the Enivisario, which carries a good hefty amount of strength with that cigar alone, body-wise. Whereas for me, I prefer the flavor aspect of things for cigars. So having that mix of both and having it be that lineage passed down was very much incorporated into the stick. It was something that my father still to this very day, as I said, smokes every morning. And I mean, it's like religiously every morning. It's his thing. Awesome. I've tried to do it with him and I break into a sweat within the first. 15. Minutes. <laughs> um, but then again, that's, that's my own personal tolerance towards that particular blend. Um, but you hit it right on the coffin or nail on the coffin, so to speak. Yeah I, I I enjoyed
0: it uh quite a bit like I said it was it was different uh than a lot of the other cigars in your portfolio obviously I think that's what you guys were going for you didn't want to necessarily but we we've talked to I've mentioned this in several the last several weeks and everything when we talk about like factories in particular or blending style in particular you know there's there's certain factories and certain blenders that carry like they're they're able to and obviously um and and your family is no different from this able to blend a lot of different styles and in your all's case take a lot of different tobaccos and marry them incredibly well um but i've always uh, up until the patrimonio there was there was I w- i'll call i'll call it the last Lovas signature we call it a, i my friends and i call it a signature like where you can it, there's that one thing that you can identify within it that's like oh that's that's a casa cueva cigar you know that's 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 a that's an Espinosa cigar that's a padrone um because it carries that certain thing even though the blends are different and there's com- all different sorts of complexities and they're different cigars and everything but there's like this the patrimonio didn't have that which i found that i, I found that really exciting cuz you know i nerd out on this shit just like you do so um so i thought that was that that was one of the really intriguing things and this another and uh, we we bringing it back the whole purpose of tonight the Sangre nueva has that component too um this this sneaks up on you though man the strength kind of like starts to hit you it's a very gradual you know body getter a little bit um i've i've kind of hit it's kind of hidden that more medium plus for me here at the end uh which i've really enjoyed this journey quite a bit on it um the um but to to the patrimonial as a case um i've the thing i've always I've said about Honduran Corojo uh, is that there's people who know how to use it well, and there's people who use it. Uh, um, (laughs) And when it's used well, like in the case of the patrimonio, um, it Honduran tobacco can be beautiful and it can be uh, incredibly, incredibly well executed. And then there's just people who just use it. Like I said, and it's a shame too, because the people who just use it, like, I feel like they, they don't understand it. And so it, it ends up becoming this muted, dank cigar, which if you like that kind of thing and, and I'll certainly enjoy that on occasion, it, it's great, but it, it very often can become very one dimensional. Yes. And I, for one, just like complexity in my cigars. Um, and some, and that's, that's not a knock, you know, like I said, some people like that one dimensional cigar. I, for one, like complexity to it. And I think that's what I've always appreciated about y'all's portfolio is that it just, each cigar has, you know, you, you mentioned Colombian tobacco a minute ago. I know you guys use that in a couple of your blends, which is really great. I love Colombian tobacco. I love the sweetness that it carries. It's really good. I love Peruvian. Um, but, um, I really like the, the way that's, um, that you guys use a lot of different tobaccos and everything. So you, y'all when, who, does, does does you do the three of you guys go out and buy procure tobacco? Is that somebody else in y'all's in the operation? Like, who procures all this tobacco from all over the
1: place? Uh, all three of us do, but we do it with different purveyors. So my we have three uh, in particular that we do a lot of business with. Most of our Ecuadorian tobacco, including the Ecuadorian Cameroon, comes from the. Olivas Cigar Group over in Tampa, um, not to be associated with the Olivas, they're simply purveyors of tobacco. Um, we also deal with two Dutch companies, Domitab and Inatab, And those are the ones that are mostly in contact with my grandfather. Um, whenever we do need anything in relation towards Ecuadorian tobacco, or just simply searching for something just a tad bit more exotic, or a blend that's come in or whatever the case may be really, we'll take the trip down or better said up to Tampa, visit uh, the individual in question, and choose what's appropriate, what would work and what wouldn't work. When my grandfather's in town, we'll bring him as well, but all three of us tend to go on ahead and look into what could viably work, what we don't really jive with too well, um, and what can be experimented upon, which I think is, I think the crucial note that really attaches all of our palates together, considering how different they all are, it's the factor of nobody within our range of family um, is afraid to do that experiment. To genuinely try something different even whether they don't like it at all or they do you can look at my grandfather who normally like i said deals with domitav and tab but we were the ones that ended up choosing and doubling down on that corojo from honduras something my grandfather was very very adamant to not include at all into the blend he did not want it as the rapper um to this very day he's come more around the curve towards it but he wasn't the biggest fan and yet that was through one of his purveyors in particular that he does the business with that we called the actual call. We're like, hey, we would love this. Um, we think it would work very well with this blend. So it's a little bit of everything in the fact that my grandfather didn't shy away from trying something he knows he's not the biggest fan of, uh, I think is a testament towards how the blending process is within our family. Awesome.
0: I'm, I'm, I apologize. I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here. Alec, and if you don't know, or, or if you don't can't reveal or anything, I, I apologize. But but uh, on a given day, like I mean, how how much tobacco do you guys have available in the factory to to, to do these blending experiments and and things like that? Towards and, and then obviously use for manufacturing too. But do you happen to know, or
1: off the top of my head, no. However, I will say um as a huge rule of thumb, it's a matter of being able to get consistent bales. If uh, you know whether the tobacco is cost effective or not, really, what we look or what it boils down to, better said, is the notion that we have that tobacco available going forward. You can look at the uh, the blending process, similar to La Mandaria. Initially, in 2019, it was supposed to be just a limited run. But considering the accolades that that cigar received, and considering the consistency we were able to get tobacco-wise, we went on and made it full-on production. If that didn't come into fruition, chances are we would have kept it as a limited edition cigar and kept our word on it, similar to. The Flacos. The, the Flacos is simply a different vitola in comparison to our Maduro and our Habano. Um, but when we say limited, we really want it to be limited. One of those cigars you can only get once every four years when they come out, and when they're gone, they're gone. Up until they're relaunched again. In this case, uh, 2026. Um, so I'd say I'd say more often than not, what my grandfather does when he takes his inventory is making sure that we have a consistent amount of tobacco to be used, not just for our products but for others
0: um before we get into a couple of our last bit segments here alec i did want to touch on some of your travels um you've been in you've been to so many places um and uh it was really kind of cool as i was was kind of researching for the show and everything and looking back at some of the travels that you had and everything i mean you've been to uh you've been to edinburgh uh uh probably probably one of the most notable ones and then i've got a list here um so i apologize i'm referencing some notes here but uh you uh I mean, you've been to quite a few places. I mean, uh, a lot of places in the in the United States, of course, all over there. You mentioned your travels through like the uh, Route 66 and everything. But uh, Scotland is probably Scotland is uh, probably some of the most exotic and everything. Have you other than I, I want to hear about your experience in Edinburgh uh, selfishly here in a second. I'll explain why, <laughs> but, but um Have you ever, have you traveled any other places abroad other than Dominican that, uh, that, you know, that you found just like you just really loved?
1: Uh, Yes. So um, we, we do carry uh, some of our lineage in Spain. We still do have some cousins over there, uh, specifically actually from my mom's side. Um, I'm half Chilean, half Cuban. So every now and then we'll go out there to visit. It's been some time now, as a matter of fact, but that being said, more more often than not, you associate Spain with Madrid or with Barcelona or Asturias, which is where we carry our lineage from, but there's a specific location called Granada, Bernada, Spain. Holy cow, Beautiful. the culture over there. Oh my God. Oh my God. It, it, it caught me by surprise because it's one of the more complex cities um, and much more, much more diverse than I think you'd find in the majority of Spain, but It left an enormous impression on me. I remember I was, um, well, this is actually uh, going back to Sebastian. It was during that same time frame. So I was uh, essentially 16 years old. And I was, as at that moment, starting to get more and more into photography. The locals were so diverse, a lot of which were actually Turkish that happened to be living there. So that melting pot, right? It's super interesting. It, it, It really caught me off guard because um, they carry a lot of their traditional cultures there in Granada. So you have this mix of Spanish food with a twist of Turkish delight. You know what I mean? Like it was, <laughs> it was so intriguing. Yeah, no That's fun cool. But yeah, no, it was awesome. I, um, I- I've also been to Germany as well, um, which, and Austria, uh, which was a hell of an experience I went with my school and um, with brother John Healy. I'll never forget. He's a tremendous, very, very noble human being. Um, uh, A lot of that had to be chaperones. But for those of you that don't know, hence going back to the spontaneous thing, I was very much the kid that would break the rules. Um, (laughs) And I quickly found being in Frankfurt, Germany which are one of the older cities, mind you. Um, mm-hmm. Also very cool because everything is still intact, very rustic. Uh, it, but it felt like you were walking into what was essentially a medieval location. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Um, I learned at a very young age that at 18 over there, you essentially, you have to be 18 to purchase like hardcore liquor. Whereas at 16, you can drink beer. And I hit the cusp. Yeah. <laughs> Most of this, I have an empty backpack, and whenever we stop for lunch, I'll see if I can swing by a gas station and enjoy it. And it got to a point where the very last moment we had, and it was extremely, is one of the more um, envisioned locations for me, was in Vienna, in Vienna, Austria. Two interesting stories. One is one of the only, actually, I think it viably is the only location to have a school specifically designated for strippers. So they have a very high-class stripper school there. Um, and I'm talking like... Of all things. Of all things. Right. Uh, with full-on core curriculum. I mean, I, I, that's <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Um, at this point, I, I coerced then uh, the other individuals that were with me to kind of jump on board with my escapades of checking out the <laughs> of what it's worth. And we were in awe, uh, quite literally, standing outside of that building, just peeking into the window and being like, holy crap, they're being taught what looks like pre-calculus right now. I, I can't believe this shit. Like, I, I, <laughs> it really was. Um, and during that same instance, like I said, this was Vienna. The day after was our last day internationally over there within that region. And I recall walking into a shop and picking up a Churchill. Um, I can't tell you whether or not it was Cuban oriented or not more often than, than not. It is because there is no embargo to be had over there, mm-hmm. but I grabbed it to have that cigar and to have to smoke. And thankfully, which is why I say brother John was tremendous. He knew that this was a portion of my family and that was a part of my heritage. It's something that I savored very much. So, and to say you had a cigar in these different locations. Cause I've had cigars in Edinburgh, I've had one over in the UK uh, to have one now in Germany. I mean, I, I love it. to me. It's like a milestone. It's like, That's awesome. cool you get to really take everything in. And we were having lunch. All of us sat down, all the, the misfits, which we were then called going forward. <laughs> by John, he sent us out within an hour to essentially pick up gifts for family. I got my father a very nice Dupont lighter. I got my mother, um, which she still has inside. It's essentially a paperweight, but at the time I thought it was really cool. This glass uh, diamond holder piece, essentially. It looks like an enormous gem. And after doing all that, I picked up the cigar and I sat down at one of their local restaurants to go on ahead and enjoy my smoke and potentially even get some Merlot so I could pair it. Normally I don't do that, but I hear they had tremendous wine. I wanted to give it a go. And as I'm sitting down and everybody's kind of going back and forth, the uh, the misfits or my good friends, my really good friends started approaching like, this is where you've been all this time. It's been about a half hour. What are you doing <laughs> now? I'm smoking a cigar. And they're like, you know what? It was one of their first times. Uh, it was a team of 14 on the entire trip. It was about 20 kids in total, but 14 decided to come with me and do all sorts of crazy stuff. I'm talking like wrapping towels to get off the second floor building. So then kind of see <laughs> nightlife fly back up. It was one of those things. It was, it was, it was a, it was an amazing awesome. experience. And they were full on board with it. So I remember as a, as a rite of passage, they're like, you know what? You're smoking a cigar. We know about your lineage. We've never smoked a cigar before. And the first kid, I'll never forget him, Nick Alfonso, and I hope he's doing well. I don't know if he's still smoking cigars to this day. Every now and then keep in contact. It was his very first ever cigar. It was a milder smoke. But I remember just giving it down the line to all 14, so everybody could at the very least try. We got some wine, we got a bigger table. It was such a cool experience to have with all my fellow individuals. Um, and then we flew back home. It was, it was one of the more the more notable experiences I've had in Vienna um, between the stripper school and also just this this <laughs> passage, so to speak. Yeah, no, a crazy story. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Learning pre-calculus—that's that's
0: badass. <laughs> yeah, whole different level. That's, um, that's awesome. Uh, if you're ever uh, next time you're in Germany, um, see if you can get because I know you love photography and in architecture. See if you can go to a town. It's called Rotenberg, Uh, o- and it's uh. I'll I'll give you the quick the, the Reader's Digest version of the story, but um. Uh, in medieval times this was one of the wealthiest cities and towns in in germany and because of that the architecture was gorgeous it still is and uh but because it was such an attraction so to speak it was also the target uh by many other countries and other towns and tribes if you will during the times and so it was constantly under attack so they used a lot of the money because it was very wealthy at the time. They used a lot of that money to finance these wars and everything over the course of hundreds of years. And over the course of hundreds of years, the town became broke because they had no more money. So they, they couldn't update it. And, and so here we are. So fast forward to the 1800s and famous painters would come over to, from you know, American painters and, 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 You know from the western part of europe england and and so forth would come to germany uh in and other parts of, of of more eastern europe to 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 paint obviously and and everything and this became very much a tourist attraction because it was so old and it looked very much like renaissance europe and it still is to this day like they haven't changed anything in fact, if you live in city limits, you can't. It's like a historical landmark; you can't change and everything. Everything has to be kept with that that kind of aesthetic and stuff. And they they spent forty years even redoing the cathedral there so that it would remain like it was and stuff. But it's it's absolutely gorgeous and it's it's literally taking a time machine when you step into this town. It's awesome, and uh, they even have a uh, this called the Night Watchman tour, where at night. They will take you on a tour of of, of the night watchman tours, old fashioned lanterns and everything. Totally cool, man. Totally. One of the coolest experiences. Uh, you definitely need to check it out. Next time you're in Germany, it's, 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 it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Um,
1: right. Okay.
0: So, um, (laughs) good stuff, but Edinburgh, I'm selfish about this. I wanted to hear about it because I'm actually going next summer. I've been to uh, several places in Europe, uh, I've never been to Scotland. So Scotland will be next summer will be my first trip to Scotland um, and everything. But uh, so, uh, I mean, we don't have to go through the whole uh, the whole itinerary or anything. but what were a couple of the highlights that you enjoyed in Edinburgh? And, and, and why did you end up going there? Was it another school trip or just something you wanted to check out or what?
1: So it was I, I went on two different occasions. Uh, the first time was which my my father was very envious about up until we ended up going the second time, right? Uh, was still with the school trip, and it was the same trip that I ended up going to Germany as well. So we were kind of hopping all over. I've also been to Wales by default because of that trip. Um, but the secondary notion was much more notable because it was a lot more freelance, if you'd like to if you'd like to call it that. Um, walking around with my family and whatnot. Anything in relation to Scotch, it they have so many operations going down over there, but holy crap, is the process cool as hell. It is cool as hell. Not even just for the tastings alone, the tastings is another story um, in relation to how they do things, but tell you what, something interesting. Normally with Scotch, a lot of individuals would then put an ice cube inside of it. Over there in Edinburgh, what we brought back with us was instead adding a little bit of water, which essentially the same thing, but adding the room temperature water, just the tiniest amount, does actually dilute it to the point where you don't need an enormous ice cube to be had inside your scotch drink or whatever it is at the moment you're drinking. Um, They teach you all these almost rustic nuances that they've been carrying into tradition since way back when. Um, If you're a foodie, I'm forgetting what it's called off the top of my head, but they're very, very infamous for, oh my gosh, and I can't, I can't even recall what it's called. I know my father would help me out immediately. Talk about haggis. Haggis. Ooh, haggis was an experience as well. You have yes. to try. It. <laughs> yes. I've had it. It is an experience. <laughs> my God. That's the I, best,
0: that's the best way to describe it. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's entertaining. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an entertainment piece all in one meal for sure. So, did you like, did you like it? I, you know what I, I, it, you're not gonna scare me. I'll eat anything, and I've had it before, and I actually somewhat enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm, i anxious to have the real genuine article, but I'm, I'm just wanted to hear your thoughts.
1: The first time around, considering I'm very big on, extremely big on texture, um, considering its origins, I was very reluctant to try haggis, but it's one of those things you have to do, especially considering you're there and they They're, consider, yeah, in Rome, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a delicacy, right? So. I came back around the curb because you're going to find it in the majority of the locations you'll visit over there. Um, I fell in love with this stuff. It's pretty damn amazing. It's very different, very, very different. But it's that weird different, that almost sought after difference in relation towards a food group that normally you wouldn't even think of trying. But you're there. So why not? You know, it was one of those yeah. things. Um, I'd say uh, there's a certain location. I'm forgetting what it's called. I believe it's called the uh, the red the Red Room. Um, And you'll see down Edinburgh, Edinburgh stopped in time. It's one of the very first locations to have firefighters, for example. And to that day, that's that's like a historical landmark for them you'll find. And it is as old school as old school comes. It's cool as hell to see. (laughs) Um, So it's worth checking out, but it's essentially one long strip of just historical landmarks all the way through. And after doing quite literally three tours back to back to back, I mean, there is a plethora for you to check out out there. The Red Room, amazing food, but I believe their haggis in particular to their competitors, if you'd like to call it that, was amazing. That nice. place also has its own story with royalty because it's so close to, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the castle as well. It's been some time since I've been back to Edinburgh, but there is a very, very well-known castle um, which came from a very well-known family who essentially began the origins of Edinburgh as a whole, right? The Red Room was where they were stationed initially whenever there were raids to be had in Scotland. It was similar to have being like a, a safeguard in a way. So it's this enormous location on the outside. But once you walk in, uh, as beautiful as it is, it's much more compact than believed to be. It's almost like they're putting up a front at first and you wouldn't believe that the royal family would be staying inside of that particular location. Right. Um, it's cool. You can also stay at the castle itself, mind you. Which stands at the very end of edinburgh i mean a beautiful view is it you just the edinburgh was- castle like the one that's the on- edinburgh castle. okay okay yep. okay. you, you can cool. stay there i i it's worth the experience uh, i stayed there the first time i went to edinburgh um there's also which i'll send you the information as well a couple of amazing hotels there um that do allow smoking and whatnot because it's okay. though it's not really frowned upon a lot of individuals choose to smoke the smaller gauges over there so they look somewhat perplexed when you're smoking a full-on cigar. <laughs> it will keep you warm, that's for sure. But yeah. it's it's one of those places you can knock out the park, I wanna say, in about two days worth of time. However, the knowledge you bring back with you is incredible. Um, from viewpoints to the history, um, I really do check out that fire station. That, that's something that, personally, to me, I, I was completely caught off guard and looking it up. I believe I was corrected, I think it was like the second uh firefighter station to ever be created if somebody corrected me on that if i'm not mistaken but even then that's a piece of history that yeah, was that, awesome. that was yeah the 1800s i mean that was forever ago holy crap are yeah. you kidding me no it's awesome hundreds listen to me but yeah it's way further than that. but anyway truth be told incredible incredible yeah. the cars over there too the actual uh the actual fire trucks they are as you look at them from the outside perspective thinking this is a jalopy i'm so surprised this still works (laughs) but yeah they're they they still do their justice they still do their job and they live by they live and die by that tradition they they haven't changed it in the slightest the city is another one of those places that has stood in time and i don't think it's going to change that point going forward tremendous location Uh you're going to have a blast you're going to have a blast
0: we're going in June and I know it'll still probably be brisk, but it probably won't be as cold as it gets because I've been I've been to Europe in, in the winter and it's it's cold. Uh, <laughs> there's just no <laughs> way to say it. It's cold. Um, yeah, I went to I was in Germany during in December. And like, so if you and that's if you're a Christmas fan. Go to Germany during Christmas time because they know how to do Christmas right, man. It's oh crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I really do. I love it. So, um, I guess it, it, since your father went with you this, the second time, I, I, um, I know he's a scotch guy too. Uh, Joe D, uh, one of your, uh, brokers is actually in the chat too. He mentioned that he's a big McAllen fan. And I remembered that too, from talking with your dad.
1: Uh, did you guys happen to go to the McAllen distillery or? Oh, awesome. Yes. I, I, at the time, um, which is something I couldn't appreciate back then. I obviously I wasn't drinking scotch. Um, at that moment in time, I was actually getting to learn more about it. But walking into the McCallum facility that they carried over there, my father, not only did he walk out hammered, which is honestly a very occurrence to see him as hammered as he was that day, but he was just completely in awe with everything. I mean, he was at that one, uh, if you'd like to look at it this way, that one annoying student in the classroom that always has a question. My father, like I said, he's a history buff, and it's one of those things similar to cigars where... You want to ask the individual in question behind the product how they even considered or came about the concept. Um, it's it's such an experience, beautifully oriented, mind you, and the tour is well worth the time and the bottom dollar. I mean, holy cow! Is it impressive?
0: Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I I can't thank you enough for so for your time tonight. Uh, I've got two last uh, two questions here. Um, and, uh, to kind of conclude our night, but thank you so much for all your time, man. I know you, I know you, I know you work for a living and I know tomorrow's Monday. So, um, but, um, now have you, i us again, cause COVID screwed up everything. Have you, have you, have you finished school? Cause I know this the last time we talked, I couldn't remember if you had finished or not.
1: Yes. So okay. I, I finished with my undergrad. Um, and next year I'll be jumping into law school. That is my goal.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Have you, have
1: you taken uh, your uh, your LSATs yet? No, and uh, that's partly also why I'm doing the gap year is mostly I have, um, uh, which is I guess uh, the stereotype for Hispanics as a whole, we have a large family, very large family, um, a lot of which are lawyers, a lot of which are accountants. And I initially majored in accounting to which that ended up fumbling and it wasn't even my fault. But that being said, ended up minoring in it. And then I swapped over into marketing as my full on major. But for law, you can quite literally enter with any sort of degree, and I wanted to have the actual tutoring for that necessary, which is why I'm taking this gap here to be full on board with my father. Going down the line, as I start clerking and I become more and more busy, I'll still be at the office, just not nearly as much. It'll be very difficult for me to do my travels, considering uh, the the very rigorous path I have ahead of me. Um, I'd like to go back to FIU law. Uh, My father was also the very first graduating class of FIU Law. So for those of you that don't know, (laughs) he's a interrogations lawyer um, because he he comes from a completely different walk of life. But it's always been, which is cool, his dream to have one of his kids at the very least, because I also have my sister, right, at the very least, take an attempt to get into law school. Just so long as you take the attempt, he'll be happy. It's his pride that he was able to be that first graduating class. And I'd love to do it too. Uh, It turns out I... I have a knack for this sort of stuff. I, I I don't find it boring in the slightest. In fact, I find it intriguing because it's just a matter of learning new things and then applying it towards daily life. I find that to be fascinating. So that's my next uh, kind of pathway in relation towards school.
0: Uh, I, and then uh, if, I mean, and I have no doubt you'll be successful, but it, when you're success, when you are successful and you graduate from law school, I mean, obviously things change between now and then and everything like that. But I mean, do you have a goal in mind and what type of law you'd like to go into or?
1: Yes, I have a few um, that I've already been looking into beyond the um, I guess the typical like corporate law and international law. I was also looking into administrative agency law. Um, A lot of the reason or better said the motivation behind me jumping full on board into law and at the very least clerking for a few years just to get some, you know, uh, my, my feet wet with that whole subject, wherever it is. Though I might not have a say, um, is due to the fact that I want to bring back that knowledge into the business. My father did the same thing in 2019 with the Cuevas Reserva. Had we not read through the fine print or had he not had his background as a delegations lawyer, we wouldn't have been able to grandfather clause the Cuevas Reserva blend, which initially came back out in 2005 mm-hmm. and was initially launched in Kansas City, Missouri. So go figure. It's just one of those things where I, I see that and I've taken a lot of admiration beyond what he's done. I want to do something similar. Take all that information that I've accumulated and I soak everything up like a sponge because I'm a nerd for things and just to bring it back in and see how we fare going forward down the line. Um, In relation to the FDA, although that can's being kicked down the road, so to speak, you never really know what's happening. I can't have all my eggs in this one basket. That's something that my father taught me at a very young age. So to just have something to fall back on is tremendous. But then to incorporate that also into our family business, I think is the, the real cherry on top.
0: I wanted to mention this tonight, Alec, before we get into these last couple of questions, and it, it's it's sort of on topic, but a little bit off. So if you'll forgive me for bouncing around here, um, and not to get into too back into too much of a somber topic, but it it, it was very enlightening um, because it, it really gave me it really gave me into a perspective into what. You know your grandfather and father and you are doing with this with this with this business and um, i had the opportunity um to actually attend uh the uh, the funeral for uh carlos torrano senior when i was down in miami um uh, a few months earlier this year and um your father and, and and your mother were in attendance so i got to see them so that was uh, that was of course uh, one of the nicer things but um it was a, you know, it was, it was a very somber uh, event at, you know, like most funerals are, but, um, but it was um, it was highlighted by um, a eulogy from, you know, um, from Charlie Taranio and, and he said a lot of, a lot of, that's a story in itself, but uh, there, there was a, I'm going to segue to a portion of, of his uh, eulogy where he was talking about how, when they, they were going through the process and he had joined the company and everything like that, because he was an attorney too, full circle, right. And discussion, right. So <laughs> when, when Charlie, when Charlie had joined the business and everything, and they were moving forward with making him a part of it, his father very much put him, pushed him ahead and, and made him the, the, the spotlight, if you will, and made, you know, Hey, what, what do you think about this decision? What's your decision? And, and, Charlie talked about how he didn't understand why his father who'd done this for decades was suddenly putting these, these tasks on him and not burden, but making him make these decisions. And uh, he said very reflexively that he looked back on all his life and his father had always done that. And he had always pushed him and his siblings forward. He had always made them realize a lot of their, their potential and everything. And, and, very much take a step back that it wasn't about him anymore it was about his kids and and i had a very light bulb moment there cuz obviously your father knew that family for years and everything and well. and um and this was this is the time where you were you had gotten your promotions and you were very much in and we had Sanger Nueva we didn't know anything about uh, at all for that matter but even seeing this kind of come to light and everything this is very much that same aspect too you know um lewis of course was at you know your father of course was at the trade show and everything like that but you were the one doing the interviews this is your project this is you know the, the direction of the company is very gonna much be gonna the the guys yes of your father and your grandfather but this is your company now too mm-hmm. and and it it was a very light bulb moment for me because I said this is this is what Lewis and your and, and your grandfather are doing with you and and I was like it, it was it was it was a beautiful it was a beautiful, real moment for me, to to kind of see how re- relationships that we have and everything how they influence us and in, in a lot of different ways, maybe unknowingly or knowingly. And this might have been something your father learned from his father. And but it was kind of interesting the connection and stuff like that. So I, in in the very somber event that the funeral was, it was a it was a it was a highlighted portion of the eulogy that I really had that light bulb moment and. I wanted to share with you at the trade show but you know time <laughs> and everything but uh what wanted, i i wanted to share it with you tonight because i thought it was it was a very very beautiful part and i could see what uh, what you guys are doing and I'm, I'm i'm truly i am truly truly excited i'm not just saying that because i'm sitting across from you i'm truly excited about the future of casa cuevas i know your your father has been a not all your eggs in one basket and you're certainly following in that line with that. But I, I think the future is very bright for this company and the future is very bright for you. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm genuinely excited to see what comes down the line. So wanted to share that. Um, but uh, the last two questions of the night, um, we talked a little bit about this before the show. So I know you've had a little bit of time to think about it. So our next segment, of course, is brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a place, a physical place, mind you. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in your own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. Now, look, the, the point of this segment is, you know, we, we talk, we've talked a lot tonight about cigars. And the moment you shared with your buddy over in Austria and, and uh You guys launched uh, Sangre Nueva officially uh, about a week ago over at the Empire Social Club. So um, I'm sure that was a grand affair and there were a lot of people. It's very community driven is the cigar industry. But every once in a while, and you may have several of these and I certainly have in my lifetime, but sometimes it's just you and the cigar and can be, uh, you know, taking in a, a breathtaking view, as you said, you've enjoyed. It could be, Listening to a piece of music, it could be just silence. But what uh, what 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 uh, moment of refuge comes to mind to you where it was just you and the cigar? What were you celebrating, or what were you thinking about, or what was taking place? And if you can remember, what was the cigar you were smoking?
1: So I, I have um, a good amount of cigars that I think about the top of my head that aren't was oriented as well um, that I've had that moment with. I do like to take the opportunity whenever I can, as I previously mentioned, to smoke a cigar and genuinely take in the environment where I'm at. I'd say, which is actually something that was brought about considering we were recently there as of uh, two weeks ago, when the flacos first launched, I remember I was handed the Habano Flacco. And at this moment of time, I remember I was in the back, we have a secondary section little side area in which we had this table set up and I was smoking it for the first time. And I was with my grandfather and my father. Um, and I remember that's when I was starting to get a little more hands-on into this, where I did enjoy the cigar, but I didn't necessarily understand why they needed it after me or anything like that. Fast forward about two months after that notion, right? This is still way back in the day. We were at the Dominican Republic. We just got back from the factory. Uh we essentially arrived at 5 30 or so. And my father and my grandfather left yet again for another meeting with a client that we had there in the DR. At the time I wasn't fully involved, but my grandfather still had a bundle of our Casa Cuevas Sapano flacos there. And I remember grabbing one and sitting down at the house that we have in the DR, um, which is essentially on the Valley Hillside over there in Santo Domingo. It was one of those moments for me where sitting down, genuinely enjoying it, and the silence that surrounded the room. Um, it was also just the notion of being able to smoke inside with the door open, just being in the comfort of that house and watching the sunset. And I remember taking the cigar from being inside and being about 10 minutes into it to being on the outside where there's a rocking chair specifically. It's one of the oldest ones my grandfather's had. I He still has it actually currently here. He uh, sent it over, so it's sitting a block away where my grandmother's at currently. Um, (laughs) I remember sitting in that rocking chair with that cigar and essentially just taking that moment of peace in before essentially two-thirds of the way through coming to terms with this is the lineage. This is something that has been named after me going forward because they wholeheartedly believed that I could be a very strong asset to this company. At that moment in time, I had the realization within all that tranquility and within the opportunity of that cigar where I, I came to terms knowing that they placed their trust in me and that that cigar as a whole being titled Flaco considering I'm so skinny was a love letter and essentially inviting me into the business. I mean, that was something incredible which is why I was uh, essentially hands-on along with my father and my grandfather for the blend of the Mandaria. Um, I was also hands-on when it came to the patrimonio and now finally coming full circle with my own particular blend, Sangre Nueva. Uh, that, that, that moment really stood out to me. Um, it also is somewhat of a bias in a way as to why I love Land Service so much. I always do think back to that very moment where I had that epiphany, if you'd like to call it that, realizing that it was a love letter to be had And my grandfather told me, but he told me with sharing the cigar and giving it to me and letting me decide whether or not I enjoyed it or if I didn't, that was really cool. No words had to have been said at that moment in time. It just took me a little longer um, than I initially anticipated to have that moment of thought. So I I would say that that's one of the the, the cooler moments I've had smoking a cigar in a place that I'm very familiar with. That's beautiful i love uh, that you that uh
0: you, it was a love letter that's awesome um very apropos considering the, the shape of it yes skinny but almost like a pen you know that's beautiful absolutely beautiful um so that uh, that is our our asylum segment refuges as i mentioned is more than just a physical place it can be a state of mind um Moments like these were made for life's greatest reflections and an asylum cigar. Uh, so choose uh, your favorite asylum, light one up and choose your refuge. So, uh, Alec, this is our last question of the night. And again, I can't thank you enough for a time. I, I can't believe it. it. It's absolutely flown by, uh, This has been two and a half hours, unbelievably. Um, <laughs> It's uh, uh so I, I, I apologize for keeping you so late, but I, I, I genuinely enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did as well. Um, so just, uh, a lot of a lot of fun a lot of laughter some great cigars uh wrapped up the uh the, the the double perfecto um and man what and I lit up a the robusto here what a what a what an enjoyable cigar man you did an incredible job uh, incredible job i'm not just saying that cuz we're sitting here tonight uh, it's outstanding um thank you the nuance the complexity something i really look for when i want to have an enjoyable cigar is is that those kind of how flavors can play off of each other, just a really well-executed blend. So, congratulations, well deserved. Uh, and uh, I'm, I know you're incredibly proud of it, and you should be because it's 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 outstanding. So, yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you sincerely. It means a lot to me. <laughs> um, so tonight's last question of all, as always, is our curveball segment, sponsored by Dunbart Tobacco and Trusts. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter. Since the company's inception, Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park seven consecutive years in the consensus top three so congrats to our good friend mr steve Saka. so this is our curveball site we were talking a lot about travel alec um and you know i know you have uh, a, a this proclivity for adventureness now you know it's tying towels and and going off of second story floors or you know uh, venturing into the uh, the oldest strip school uh, stripper school in uh, the new world, so or whatever, whatever the case may be. Uh, you like to find your, you like to find yourself in new places. So, what's the what's the weirdest place that you haven't been to that you would like? Man, I would really like to go there. Just you know, weird is kind of a dip, not necessarily the right word. Atypical. A lot of people want to go to Paris. You know, a lot of people want to go to Rome. Yeah. Um. You know, there, I mean, there are the, there are the place. you know, black people want to go Hawaii. There are those places that like, Hey, if you're a traveler, Hey, I want to go to, but what's, what's a unique place in your mind that, you know, that's maybe
1: atypical that you would really like to go to. So this, this place can be found domestically slab city, slab city, USA. I, I don't know if you're too, too familiar with this place, but if you aren't rightfully so it is <clears throat> population as of now, I think 200 um very minute amount of individuals all of which i don't want to say wacky per se but have very eccentric taste and towards of what they do so you'll find all sorts of individuals out there from reptile tamers to um individuals that assert under previous presidents towards there's there's this wealth of knowledge on a very personal note in this location in slab city and it's found in the middle of the desert if i'm not mistaken in california right um I remember seeing it initially, um, it it popped up on, uh, I wanna say a Buzzfeed or something. And I was just so perplexed by everything that was to be found within that mini documentary. It was essentially a half hour long, but the information that they squished in there with all these different individuals, and they're all somewhat connected with one another. They help each other out, which is why they're so sustainable out there considering they are essentially in the middle of nowhere. Right. It's just one of those places that I've always wanted to check out Uh, for for photography purposes. Yeah, of course. But more often than not, just to talk to the locals, considering it's such a small population. I mean, that that must be different. All of it must be extremely different and exotic in a way. So I'd say that. um, I'm sorry. I'm not shooting towards something. No, this is really
0: this is really I've heard about this place. It's 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 an unincorporated like like people live off the grid. Right. So to speak.
1: Like that's it's that's the thing. So it's, it's really cool. I'd love to take the opportunity at any point in time just to even just backpack out there, see the hospitality, which I, I know from what I've taken in um, research-wise, they're very kind individuals. But all their lines of work, or better said, what they've done in prior uh, lives, so to speak, is complex, brings the sense of unity in a way to slab city i mean it's just one of those places that has always been fascinating to me i i really want to go i don't know when the opportunity will present itself but I, I i am sure as hell know that i will be posting photos if i do end up going that's for sure
0: <laughs> that's cool no i've heard about this place i mean i don't know much about it other than what i just stated and what you've said but that's well that i mean that is that certainly is unique and you said you you'd learned about it from a
1: documentary that you watched yeah, it was. So I, I also very much like to keep up with not only just like History Channel in general, but certain different, um, if you'd like to call them uh, smaller oriented historical companies that do these documentaries on very interesting subjects that normally wouldn't be covered because it's not Paris, let's say, or it's not uh, Berlin, Germany, right? It's these smaller localized places that have a very, very unique way of living their life. And I've always been fascinated by it because given the opportunity and hopefully it's later on in my life, um, I'd like to see a good amount of what Earth in general has to offer. There's a lot of very cool locations out there. I've been to Greece, I have been to Rome. Um, I'll be in in Italy uh, this November for Thanksgiving. Um, Traveling is tremendous. It's one of those things where you're not talking about the Rolex you just purchased. You're more often than not talking about the experience you've had at a very cool location. That maybe your friend has frequented as well. You never know. Mm -hmm. Um, It becomes a conversation piece. It's amazing over a good cigar. And like I said, that's one of my goals is to really have a cigar in as many locations as I possibly can that you would find whether off the grid or very popularized. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those places for me. That's cool. That's really cool. Awesome. Um, There's
0: this uh, documentary that's uh, that I'm, about to about to start into it's it it, i think it was released last year i think it's it's why the industrial revolution happened here i'm really excited about it i know most people find that boring but i am i don't know i'm really excited so but yeah um but it might it it, it, i'm i'm hoping what i'm hoping to find just to kind of discover from it is just like how how we got here to this point yeah because the industrial revolution very much was I mean, it took things that took um, days, days, and morphed them to day or hours. You know, like we think about like the cotton gin, for example, Eli Whitney. Uh, you know, it was a very manual process, and then it it ended up, you know, not the steam engine. You know, converting steam into, you know, converting water into making something go. You know, it's just it's just absolutely fascinating, and then like just what's happened in the last in your lifetime in 24 years we went from we went from cell phones that were the size of you know your head to yeah i mean this is big but i mean for time they were actually getting pretty small but the power of you know an iphone for example i mean this is a computer this 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 could have launched this is the same kind of capacity that that launched you know the space shuttle in the 80s yeah you know? incredible which is just nuts, you know, to think about. So like how, you know, in the last 24 years, for example, we've gone from a cell phone being just being able to talk to somebody to now just being a fully, you know, computerized system in here. Like, I mean, today, uh, I mean, just today what I did with my phone is I, you know, I, I I did make a couple of calls. I did text messages. I used it as a GPS device to get from point A to point B. I used it to pay for uh, my my kids' meals. I used it to, um, show my ID in in some places, and you know, like it, it it's incredible what this has done to our life, and and in a very short amount of time, it is our life. You know, like I, you can make a social commentary about that all you want, but a, as a tool, you know, industrially speaking, it, it's it's crazy how
1: how far we've come.
0: Yeah, a short amount of time, like how what it's done. I mean, when the first iPhone was released to now what it what it is you know it's just it's it's just crazy what smartphones are and and do so i mean it all kind of started with the industrial revolution and how we so I, i'm that's what i'm kind of looking forward to because it's like a story of how we got here i think at least that's what i'm hoping is it might be considered completely different but it's, it's a documentary i'm excited about watching so well awesome well um alec again i can't thank you enough for your time uh, like i said two and a half hours of an amazing conversation i've really enjoyed this uh so if uh you go to scotland try the haggis just do it uh alex going to skydive potentially that's what we've discovered so um <laughs> and uh, a couple of people in the chat are, are share your share your uh share your nervousness alex don't you're not alone you're not alone <laughs> uh, a lot of people are like nope <laughs> not gonna do that so uh but uh what, uh, whatever you decide um I, I i if you decide to do end up doing it again i'm not going to pressure you one way or another that's your decision but it it was it was the thrill of a life it was it was absolutely wonderful so um can't thank you enough for your time thank you for uh, allowing me to share uh the sangria nueva uh, my first experience with it with you i couldn't imagine a better way to enjoy it um really enjoyed it i'm going to wrap this up as i finished up uh, post show editing and everything but uh it was a uh, it was a very enjoyable evening i hope you had fun
1: as well so thank you thank you for having me, brother i sincerely appreciate it and I, I i'd be more than happy to go a couple more hours i mean it with you it was a conversation <laughs> truth be told Time probably, really
0: probably could have probably could have so uh, <laughs> for for everyone out there thanks for staying up late with us we do appreciate it if you're uh, checking us out on facebook uh, you can always check out a calendar of upcoming events uh we do have uh john carney of la florida minicana coming up next week uh and then my birthday episode later this month uh steve Saka and and will cooper will be joining us for that for the two-year anniversary of our charity segment really excited about that and then uh yeah we'll be celebrating five years of Los fumar takes can't believe i've been doing this for that long five years uh of Los fumar takes in november uh truly uh fantastic and looking forward to that you can always check out our youtube channel Los fumar Hit the subscribe button if you already haven't. And if you're listening to us later, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts, do me a favor. uh, Hit download, subscribe, and review. If you already are a subscriber, do me a favor and hit unsubscribe. But don't forget to hit resubscribe because that helps my numbers and (laughs) allows me to get great guests uh, like Alec here tonight. Remember, um, everyone out there, that, uh, that youth didn't. In fact, yes, it's cliche as it sounds. Youth is just a number it's it's what you do with those years that count and my guest tonight certainly has done a lot in his 24 years but i'm looking so forward to the next 24 and the future of casa cuevas and the future of this uh bright young man uh thank you so much to everyone out there we appreciate it all the likes shares and comments keep them coming i'm barry duplicy live from the alec bradley lone star studio of azel texas guess what everybody we'll see you next time